You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kuh. On today's show, we'll cover the latest news around baseball, shine some light on a bunch of player performances from the past week, recommend some hitter and pitcher streamers for the week ahead, and John and I will give out some fantasy baseball trophies later on in the show. But before we do that, John, how's your week been? Well, the Twins did get swept by uh, Atlanta this week. Not that it was terribly surprising, but, you know, it's never fun when your team is is uh, not performing well. But... Um... Other than that, I've got two weeks left in my home league for until the playoffs start, so that's kind of exciting. <laughs> so crazy. Um, it's it feels weird to be saying that in, in, in I guess it's starting at the end of June now, but um yeah, that's kinda of weird doing that and you know, just meanwhile every other one of my leagues still has like two months to go before it, you know, playoffs start. <laughs> Yeah, that's so crazy. I mean, every time you say that, you catch me off guard because I'm like, wait, is my league about to end? I'm like, oh, no, no, it's just the all-star break. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, with fantasy, I was about to have a complete meltdown on this show prior to what the news came out about Corbin Carroll afterwards. So I'm okay now, but I was about to lose it because my home league, I just have so many injuries to really good players. I have Corbin Carroll shares in every league. Aaron Judge shares in so many leagues. I just couldn't take anymore, and I was about to be very upset on this show, but thankfully I don't have to be because some better news came out and things are looking okay. But yeah, I was pretty doom and gloom the whole day today after Corbin Carroll was removed from the game on Thursday. So thankfully, fingers crossed, everything is okay. But in general, my leagues are going pretty well. The only league I'm doing horrendous in is, well, my Dynasty League, but it's kind of a rebuild now, and TGFBI. I'm doing horrible, but John, you're mm-hmm. doing quite well in TGFBI, aren't you? Yeah, I'm I'm currently third in my league, so I've dropped a little bit. Um, I was in kind of the mid-30s in the overall a couple weeks, for a couple weeks, but now I'm back to kind of the 50s. But you know what? I'll kind of take it. I, I actually completely missed this past weekend's fab run, but also... I didn't really need to pick up anyone, so right. that was kind of nice. Um, yeah, so right now, just just kind of humming along and, and hoping things work out for the best uh, on that team. And this is your first year in TGFBI, right? Yep, yeah, first year. Yeah, and you're already triumphantly passing me in wherever I've finished in the three years I've played in it, so... I mean, it is, I mean, it is partial luck, I feel like, that I'm, I'm doing this well, Um Part of the reason I'm surprised I did this well is because my starting third baseman was Manny Machado, who yeah. has not been having a good season. But then on the flip side, uh, Corey Seager, who obviously you and I both uh, had on our TGFBI teams, um, was out for a month and that hurt. But yep. now he's back and he's just looking amazing. Yeah, we actually both had very similar starts in TGFBI. I also had Manny Machado and Corey Seager. So we started off very similarly, but I guess the rest of the draft is where I went wrong. So. <laughs> <laughs> I did mess up by like you know spending 200 fab on Mason Miller and yep. I drafted Brandon Fott and held him on my you know team for like basically two months and then as soon as he started I think I dropped him because he was just doing so poorly so um yeah I've I've made my share of mistakes on this team but we are we are chugging along and it's it's fun to witness yeah I've just had the injury bug in every league but besides those two leagues my dynasty and TGFBI my home league I'm in first in a satellite NFBC league, 12 team, big money, I'm in third. So everything's kind of looking really good for the leagues that are significant to me. And obviously TGFBI is significant, but it's such a dice roll with if your players are healthy, if your players 
are performing correctly, if you win the fab budgets that are such a gamble. So there's a lot of factors that go in TGFBI and you're playing against the best competition that's around. I mean, my league is full of amazing analysts and writers and people in fantasy sports. So it's very hard to do well. And if you do do well, it's a really significant thing because, hey, you stood up against some of the best. And that's pretty cool. So I'm rooting for you. I'm pretty much a lost cause in TGFBI. So I'm all aboard. I helped John and he's my co-host in the <laughs> podcast. That's my team too. I voluntarily take part of your team. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. Yes. Okay. You heard it here, everybody. If John finishes in the top 50, so did I. But... <laughs> Before we get into this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and you could send us your fantasy baseball. <clears throat> but before we get into this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and you could send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on all of them, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast, and please, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leave a five-star review if you enjoy listening to us. Those are the two biggest platforms, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, so please leave us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate it. Now, let's get into the MLB news since our last podcast. We start with Carlos Rodon of the Yankees. He is set to make his next minor league rehab start on Saturday. Rodon's been incredible in his first two rehab outings, totaling seven innings in which he has allowed just one run and two hits while posting a 9-1 K-to-walk ratio. However, he hasn't thrown more than 48 pitches yet. Depending on how his next rehab start goes, he could join the Yankees rotation on July 7th at home against the Cubs. He'll most likely be on a limited pitch count to start though, so keep an eye on him, but Anyone that has him on their IL, then you're going to be happy that he's coming back because he is looking pretty good. Aaron Judge of the Yankees was seen playing catch on the field prior to Wednesday's game. It's the first bit of baseball activity that he's done since going down with a ligament tear in his toe. We're going to talk about Domingo Herman's perfect game a little bit later on, but I don't know if you saw the video, John, but Aaron Judge came out of the dugout to celebrate afterwards he was much slower than everybody and he was being very very cautious as he should be but mm -hmm. yeah it's looking like a little bit of time before judge returns i mean we, we've talked about on this podcast like he's taken i think multiple cortisone shots or something like that yep and prp injections. usually uh, prp injections yeah and so sometimes it it takes like uh, kind of a you know a couple of weeks to see kind of that that uh that type of rehab become effective so um, not surprising that he is still not at, you know, close to maybe the percent where they'd be willing to set him on a rehab assignment or something. like that. Yeah, I think we're going to see him somewhere after the All-Star break. They want to be careful with him and the Yankees are kind of falling out of it. I mean, they're still the Yankees and they're still going to compete and try to win. So they do want him back because without Aaron Judge, let's just face it, the Yankees are not a strong team. Nope. So... They're going to be careful with him, especially after signing that humongous deal. He's the captain and whatnot. So I see him coming back around the all-star break, hopefully sooner than that, because all my fantasy teams are missing him. But yeah, the PRP injections take a little bit of time and they're going to want to monitor that a little bit closer. Merrill Kelly of the Diamondbacks was placed on the 15-day IL on Tuesday, June 27th with right calf inflammation. It was announced later on that Kelly has a blood clot in his right calf and is without an official timeline. 
Manager Tori Lovello compared Kelly's situation to that of Ian Kennedy, who missed 18 days last year with a blood clot as well. So that's not an official timeline, but Ian Kennedy did go through a similar thing and missed 18 days. So that's the hopes for Kelly. So maybe about three starts he misses, and that'd be the best case scenario, to be honest. So hopefully he doesn't miss too much time. Corbin Carroll of the Diamondbacks left Thursday's game after his second at-bat with right shoulder soreness. Corbin had surgery on that right shoulder back in 2021 as well, so that's never good to hear. After the game, though, he was interviewed and said that it was checked out and he got the green light, quote-unquote, which was a, quote, huge weight off of his shoulders. Him and fantasy managers alike consider him day-to-day for now, but whew, that was a big bullet dodge because if he missed any time, I was just going to lose it because Corbin Carroll has been amazing. He is an NL starter in the outfield for the All-Star team. So big shout out to Corbin Carroll. He is incredible. Jordan Alvarez of the Astros hit off of a tee and took soft toss on Wednesday. There's no exact timetable yet for his return, but mid-July seems like a reasonable target if he's able to avoid any setbacks. Rumors were originally around or after the All-Star break, but it'd be nice to get him back even sooner than that. Nolan Arenado of the Cardinals was pulled from Wednesday's game against the Astros with lower back tightness. He's officially listed as day-to-day, so this injury doesn't seem to be too severe, but he has been battling this back tightness for a little while now. He was in the lineup, though, on Thursday, serving as the DH. Ryan Helsley of the Cardinals was cleared to begin a throwing program on Wednesday. He's been out since June 12th with a forearm strain. Jordan Hicks has taken over the closer role nicely in his absence. Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers left his start early on Tuesday against the Rockies. He only threw 79 pitches and asked to be removed from the game. In a post-game interview, Kershaw said that he didn't feel great overall and that he just needed to come out right there, which doesn't sound good in general, but he's expected to make his next start against the Pirates. There was an update that came out just a little while ago that I didn't write down, and that update is that he has shoulder inflammation. So monitor him carefully. I don't think he makes his next start if he has the shoulder inflammation, but he very well could. So keep an eye on Clayton Kershaw. Dustin May of the Dodgers played catch on Wednesday. It's his first time throwing since being put on the IL. He's been out with a right forearm strain and has no timetable for his return. Hunter Green of the Reds had a rather unusual update. He was put on the 15-day IL with right hip pain last week, and I personally thought that it wasn't anything serious. He had a start skip because of the hip pain, then he made his next start, looked fine, and then he was placed on the IL. Well, the Reds said that they aren't counting on Green to return from the 15-day IL before August, according to C. Trent Rosecrans of The Athletic. Hopefully, he can return faster than that because that sounds like a lot of time missed for simply hip pain. John, is this weird to you? Any red flags here? I mean, Green's been kind of in and out of the the lineup this season right um like he hasn't been super consistent um in terms of injury so maybe it's just kind of precautionary from the reds um i don't know it is weird that they're only calling it a hip pain right but hip is kind of one of the most important parts for for a pitcher to kind of generate power so if that's messing with his delivery in any way and we all know how you know how hard he throws the ball like he a lot of it is generated from his hips so if that's any way affecting his ability like um they probably want to take some precaution yeah that's a great point a lot of it comes from the hips and it's just weird that they're calling it just hip pain you would think it's like a bruised hip or a hip contusion or something but just calling it hip pain sounds like he banged it against the wall and isn't pitching 
So right. <laughs> I would hope that yeah. he comes back sooner than August, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah, hopefully soon, because once again, I have a lot of shares of him as well. I mean, my team is just getting decimated. Masataka Yoshida of the Red Sox missed two straight games with soreness in his forearm after being hit by a pitch. He rejoined the lineup on Thursday. Chris Sale of the Red Sox was cleared to begin a throwing program on Thursday after getting encouraging results from an MRI. Sale is just three weeks removed from being diagnosed with a stress reaction in his left scapula, but he's pain-free and able to pick up a ball again. Sale will now begin to build back up towards a return, which the Red Sox hope can come in early August when he's first eligible to be activated from the 60-day IL. Great news there from Sale because I was getting kind of worried with him, but it's nice to see him progressing in a positive notion. James Paxson of the Red Sox remains lined up to make his start on Friday against the Blue Jays. Manager Alex Cora said, We'll see how he keeps reacting to the treatment, but that's where we're at right now. Paxson is currently dealing with right knee soreness. Brian Reynolds of the Pirates said he's aiming to be activated from the 10-day IL on Friday. That's the first day that he'd be eligible to return. He's coming back from some lower back inflammation. Marcus Stroman of the Cubs threw a bullpen session on Thursday. If it goes smoothly, he should be able to return for his next scheduled go in the rotation, which is this weekend against the Guardians. He's coming back from a blister that opened up on his right index finger on Sunday in the London series. Salvador Perez of the Royals returned to the lineup on Wednesday after undergoing a procedure on his eye to help with vision issues. Shane McClanahan of the Rays is expected to make his next start on Friday against the Mariners. Manager Kevin Cash said that the decision to push McClanahan's start back in the schedule was totally precautionary for us. Shane was pretty adamant that he felt great and was ready to go, but just felt like with the workload to date and where he's at, it's not the worst thing in the world. That's good news for anyone that rosters McClanahan, who's arguably been the best pitcher for fantasy this year, so thankfully he is not hurt worse than what we thought he was. Taylor Walls of the Rays has missed three straight games due to tightness in the middle of his back. An MRI came back negative, and the hope is that he can return this weekend. Yu Darvish of the Padres might be pushed back again in the Padres' rotation. He was scratched from his previous start due to an illness, and apparently he's still not feeling well as of Wednesday. Michael Waka of the Padres was scratched from his scheduled start against the Nationals on Saturday due to minor shoulder fatigue. The Padres are hopeful that he'll miss just one start and won't require a trip to the injured list. Tariq Skubal of the Tigers should be activated from the IL and return to the Tigers rotation on July 4th against the Athletics. If no one has stashed him yet in your league and he's out there, scoop him up because he has looked really good in his rehab start so far. Michael Conforto of the Giants exited Wednesday's game against the Blue Jays due to left hamstring tightness. Logan Allen of the Guardians was optioned to AAA Columbus. It took him 98 pitches to get through 3.2 innings pitched against the Royals and was optioned the next day. It looks like Tanner Bybee and Gavin Williams have secured the rotation spots for now. Michael Soroka of the Braves could be called up to start on Friday against the Marlins. Since he was optioned to AAA, Soroka has had a 1.42 ERA with 18 strikeouts in 19 innings pitched over three starts. His last start was last Thursday where he tallied nine strikeouts in seven innings pitched with only one earned run given up. So pick up Soroka if you need some help in your rotation. A.J. smith Shaver of the Braves was optioned to AAA Gwinnett on Monday. Jared Schuster of the Braves was optioned to AAA Gwinnett on Wednesday. Colby Allard of the Braves was activated from the 60-day IL and made his 2023 season debut on Wednesday against the Twins. He looked pretty good going 4.2 innings pitched with zero earned runs and eight strikeouts. 
Brandon Fott was recalled by the Diamondbacks and started on Thursday against the Rays. It did not go well. Jordan Westberg was called up by the Orioles on Monday, June 26th. Westberg was ranked as the 33rd prospect by MLB Pipeline. In three games so far, he's gone 5 for 12 with two walks, two runs, and two RBI. If you need help at shortstop or middle infield, definitely pick up Jordan Westberg. And then a couple of trades went down. Eduardo Escobar was traded from the Mets to the Angels for right-handed pitcher Coleman Crow and right-handed pitcher Landon Marceau. The Mets will also pay all of Escobar's salary, which was $9.5 million. And then Mike Moustakis was traded from the Rockies to the Angels for right-handed pitcher Connor Van Skoyuk. So that's all of the MLB news since the last podcast. John, any notes on any of these players? Uh, a lot of the same names coming up, but hopefully they're getting close to their the end of uh, their time on the IL, especially that news about Carlos Rodon. Um, obviously one of the top pitchers to get picked up in drafts this year. And then, you know, he's been out essentially for three months. So uh, hoping he is able to come back and have a, you know, good rest of the season for him. Yeah, it's definitely good news for the Yankees and fantasy managers alike that drafted Carlos Rodon or kept him and now are finally able to see him pitch for the Yankees. He hasn't pitched for the Yankees yet. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's kind of nuts. It feels like it's been such a long time, like he was on the team forever now, but realistically, this is his first year. He just hasn't pitched yet. Yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting when a guy who, you know, they signed to a huge contract just first three months, he's just not in the game, and that, that obviously does not help, um, you know, irrational fans, I guess, be really excited about this guy. So hopefully he can come out and, and have a good outing as, as, a, as a Yankee pitcher and kind of allay those, those fears. Yeah, especially after them dishing out a huge free agent contract for him this offseason. So they will be very happy to see him on the mound very soon. But before we get into the weekly performance recap, we're going to take a quick break. So stay tuned. All right, we are back and it's time for the weekly performance recap. Just a reminder to everyone, we get most of our hitter and pitcher highlights from the daily articles on the Pitcher List website. The hitter recap and SP Roundup articles are incredible resources to read through to see how players performed each day. But let's get into the weekend. John, who performed well on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? Yeah, we're going to start with the rookie sensation, Ellie De La Cruz. Went four for five with a double, a triple, a home run, and a single. Uh, overall, got three runs, four RBIs, and a stolen base. Honestly, if the hype could not get any bigger, Ellie De La Cruz just became the youngest player to hit for the cycle since 1972. Plus, he added on a stolen base just for good measure. He hasn't hit 100 plate appearances just yet, so this is still very much small sample size territory. But the average and the OPP are surprisingly high. Um, considering what, that he has a 32% strikeout rate and a 14% whiff rate, um, he's just making good contact uh, when he's just when he's not whiffing. Essentially, the problem is some of that contact is resulting in a lot of ground balls. He has the highest ground ball rate among batters right now, I believe, and he also isn't really generating a ton of hard contact, despite you know getting a triple and a homer in this game. But honestly, I think that's fine for a rookie. He's still very young, growing into his body, and well, even with that you know, maybe lack of uh, advanced stats, would you say? Um, the the regular stats look fine. So, uh, yeah, just enjoy the show for now. Uh, Ian Happ on Saturday, uh, the Cubs, he went 2 for 5 with two homers, two runs, and two RBIs. Uh, Happ really hasn't shown off a ton of power this year, only has seven on the season, so essentially at five before last week uh, in basically two and a half months of play. 
He's been an OBP monster thanks to his 16% walk rate, though. So if you're in an OBP league and you roster Hap, you probably have been pleasantly surprised because he's generating stuff not just in OBP, but also a little bit better counting stats than what he was giving you last year, as well as the occasional steal. He currently has six on the season. Last year, he finished with nine, so he's probably going to have more than that. So a nice little addition to your team. Um, I don't really know if most people have him in uh, 12-teamers. He's kind of a borderline outfielder three in those leagues, but um, definitely in, in deeper leagues or NL only leagues, Hap has uh, probably been a, a good thing for your team. Uh, and then on Sunday, Trey Turner of the Phillies, he went two for three with a homer, two runs, three RBI, a walk, and two stolen bases. To say that Turner has been a disappointment this season would probably be a massive understatement as he only has a 246, 302, 382 slash line on the season, all of those marks being well below his career average. Um, especially that 302 OBP. Um, it's just been a really poor season for him. The only positive in Trey's game this, this season really are that he's generating a lot of runs, um, and he also has a lot of steals. He currently has 18 on the season, I believe. Um, but you didn't really draft a guy in the first round just to get that type of production. He really isn't helping out in all the other three categories, and that's kind of the big reason why we, we like a guy like Trey Turner. He's been marginally more productive through June, has three homers, 14 RBI, eight stolen bases, and his slash line's 271, 352, 406. So definitely all those numbers are above what he's been doing for the, the remainder of the season. So we do have some improvement at least that could point to, you know, maybe better performance come July. So Ellie De La Cruz, man, he is so incredible. And there's a lot of flaws that you pointed out. And I agree those are big flaws. But in a categories league, for instance, he is providing you with something every day. And sure, his ground ball rate's like over 60%. Sure, the strikeout rate is over 30%, and he's whiffing a lot. And it's stuff you don't want to see, but he'll adjust. He had the same problem in the minors where he was striking out a lot, and he was whiffing, and the ground ball rate was bad, and he couldn't hit anything from the right side of the plate, which right now I think he's batting like under 150 against lefties, which is horrible. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of bad problems right now with Ellie De La Cruz but in the minors he saw those problems adjusted and then went on a ridiculous run that ended up getting him called up to the bigs so I think Ellie is just phenomenal the upside alone with him is worth rostering him and not worrying about all the underlying stuff because his ceiling is probably one of the highest ceilings in baseball that you could have so I'll take that gamble every single time even with these glaring red flags because I think that he'll figure it out. Remember, he's only 21 years old. It's pretty insane to think about that. So Ellie is amazing. And I also wanted to say that with the stolen base and the cycle, the only other player to do that, a steal in a cycle, is Mike Trout. So huh. pretty cool stuff that Mike Trout and Ellie De La Cruz share a little bit of a common ground there. That's good company to be in. Oh, it's the best company to be in. <laughs> And Ian Happ, I don't really have much to share on him. He is a great source of OBP. Like you said, he's been great in OBP leagues. He's a great third outfielder. I think he's an option that you want to have on your team, and he should be rostered 100%. But on Saturday in the London series, he was going up against Adam Wainwright, and I was looking mm -hmm. at people to bet on for home runs, and he's batting like 400 with four homers against Wainwright in his career. And apparently in London, the ball flies really well. Like they actually push the fences back because the offense was so heavy the last time huh. they did the London series. Interesting. And I put down like 
$8 on half to hit a home run, and he hit two. I should have bet more because I felt <laughs> like it was free money. But, yeah, shout out to Ian Happ for making me some money. And then Trey Turner, yeah, super big disappointment. Someone in the first round that you take and expect just 20 homers, 40 steals, and 100 runs, 80-plus RBI, and a solid OBP and average. He's mm-hmm. been really not great this season, but... As you said, in June, the production's picked up a lot and looks like prime Trey Turner. If he had a 350 OBP the rest of the way with a 270, 280 average and, let's say, 10, 15 homers and 25 more bags, then you got what you paid for. But right now, it's pretty underwhelming. Yeah, it's kind of funny when you think about that his... um, It's not exactly the same, but his uh, potential targets, what he's on pace for is what uh, Ronald Acuna already has this season. That's so. <laughs> crazy. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. Uh, needless to say, it's. Uh, I feel sorry for anyone who drafted Turner first. Um, it, it was. It would have been a good move, in my opinion. But, yeah, it's been, it's been really an unfortunate um, three months for him. Yeah, some people were taking Trey Turner over Acuna this season. And yep. some people were taking Judge over him, which I understand the Judge and Acuna debate. But, mm-hmm. man, Acuna just seems like the obvious, 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 obvious first pick overall in fantasy leagues. Almost as obvious as when Mike Trout was in his prime. It was like, who's first overall? Oh, it's Mike Trout, obviously. Yeah. The I mean, there, there's, still, there's still things where, you know, injuries with Acuna and of stuff course, like that, of course. you know, could have pushed him back a little bit. But, um, yeah, I mean... If you had the number one pick, you did pick up Acuna, and you're probably kicking yourself right now. A hundred percent. I would be so devastated. And what's crazy is this year, I was actually like all in on Trey Turner. And thankfully, I didn't end up with him anywhere. But if yeah. he fell to me in the third pick, I probably would have taken him. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, his his ADP, I think, according to NFBC, was like a 3.4 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that makes so, sense. Yep. Yeah. Well, moving on to pitchers, uh, Jesus Luzardo of the Marlins went up against Pittsburgh, got a no decision, but he pitched seven innings, zero earned runs, two hits, one walk, and nine strikeouts. Luzardo dominated with 19 whiffs and a 35% CSW, which was led by his slider, had a ridiculous 52% CSW. Um, in his last 10 games, he has a 3.95 ERA, a 1.11 whip, uh, really good Really good numbers, honestly. Really, really solid. Um, I actually just saw this before we started recording, but Nate Schwartz, friend of the pod, pitcherless writer, he was talking about how Luzardo's changeup um, hasn't been as successful as it has been in his past, but he's kind of making up for it with his slider, and that slider really worked against Pittsburgh on Friday, um, and we might also talk about his start today on Thursday and you know what what he you know was able to do well there. Um, if you look at that last month, there's been a few blips here and there, you know, a couple starts where you've given up a, a bit more runs than you like. But honestly, there's been more good than bad. This season, he's still top 20 in terms of CSW and whiff rate. And honestly, when you can get guys to strike out, it usually means good things for the rest of your game. On Saturday, going back to that London series, Justin Steele of the Cubs uh, got the win over the Cardinals. He pitched six innings with one earned run, five hits, one walk, and eight strikeouts. Steele has been a pretty nice surprise this season. You really can't ignore the 8-2 record, as, an incredi- as well as an incredibly low 2.62 ERA, paired with a stellar 1.06 whip. He isn't a strikeout machine, so the 8Ks here was kind of nice. Uh, that usually makes him less attractive as a pitcher. Obviously, you don't want a guy who can't average a strikeout in an inning usually. 
Um, but other than, you know, two starts against Cincinnati and Houston where he gave up five runs, I believe, in both of those. And then he had a injury-shortened start against Tampa where he only pitched three innings, but it was still three shutout innings. He's been extremely consistent this season. Uh, last week we talked about, you know, Marcus Stroman and how he's been a really solid guy this year. Um, honestly, to me, Steele's kind of discount version of Stroman. Um, very consistent this season. Maybe not all the strikeouts that uh, you were hoping for, but you can't uh, you got to be happy with what he's giving you. I believe he has nine quality starts in the season too, which is uh, pretty solid. And then rounding out on Sunday, Yusei Kikuchi of the Blue Jays went up against Oakland, got the win with seven innings, one and run, two hits, two walks, and eight strikeouts. Kikuchi has been on a bit of a heater recently. I kind of see that in just because it's only been two games because he did have a, he did pitch six shutout innings with um, six strikeouts against Miami, just the start previous to this. Um, I don't know if he's a must-add in 12-teamers. I mean, he's had basically two good starts. The start before that, I believe, it was four innings with two red runs, so it wasn't, like, the greatest uh, sort of situation. He is kind of a must-start at this point, though, if he is on your team. So, you know, maybe that makes him a pickup in 12-teamers. He's averaging a strike on an inning over the season, uh, which is pretty impressive. And while I don't love how flyball-heavy Kikuchi is pitching in a park like Rogers Center, he still is returning solid restarts. And I think his next couple starts, too, are pretty favorable. So uh, if you're looking for a guy who might be a little bit more under the radar, uh, Kikuchi might be your man. He isn't in streamer territory, uh, but he is probably available in your leagues. So for Lizardo, great comment about the changeup being his bread and butter, but the slider really picking up the slack since the changeup hasn't been as good because his changeup was really, really good. And that was a big yep. factor on him succeeding. And the fact that he lost that a little bit was kind of concerning. And that was some of the struggles that he went through this season. But that slider has really picked up as of late and has been dominating. So it's great to see him getting back on track because I think Lazardo is one of the more exciting pitchers in baseball. And the fact that he's a lefty and gets a lot of strikeouts, it's just a really good combination. And I'm glad to see Lazardo doing well. Justin Steele has been incredible, and I mentioned in that London series, Adam Wainwright was horrible. Well, for everything that Adam Wainwright was bad, Justin Steele was good, and Justin Steele, which was crazy because he was hurt, like you said, he was dropped in my 12-team NFBC league. Now, remember on NFBC, there's no IL spots, so it's hard to roster guys when you're trying to be competitive and pick up people that can help you right now. But Justin Steele wasn't out very long, and I was surprised to see him on the wire. I put a $30 bid on him out of a $1,000 budget, and I got him. And I had him for that London start, and I'm thrilled because, honestly, you said that he is a lesser version of Marcus Stroman in your eyes. I actually like him a lot better than Stroman in terms of the strikeouts and whatnot. Stroman's been incredible this year. Let's not get it twisted. Right. Yeah. But if you're talking about rest of season or just upside, give me Justin Steele. I like him a lot better. I think he's fantastic. So... Very happy that I was able to get him in some places that people dropped him that couldn't stash him on an IL spot. But yeah, Justin Steele's been great this year. And then Yusei Kikuchi's been surprisingly good this year as well. I took a lot of stabs on him through a couple of leagues, 15-teamers, 12-teamers. And it's been paying off. He has some really bad starts, some really big blow-ups. I mean, he's kind of a cherry bomb. But the starts that he's been good in look like this. Eight strikeouts, one run, two hits, and seven innings. I mean, obviously this came against the Athletics, but he does this from time to time where he just has the whiffs and the strikeouts, and it looks great. But the reason why he's not more rostered is because he's prone to those humongous blowups. Yeah, I, I mean, I just go back to, I think, one of our first um, pods for this season. 
you know, we were talking about Yusei Kikuchi kind of in a, in a would you rather sort of conversation. And right. All of us were like, yeah, I don't really want Kikuchi on my team right now. And he's kind of turned himself to a guy that you can't ignore. Um, that you have to consider picking him up or, um, or, you know, starting him even against maybe a little bit tougher matchups just because um, he's been doing so well. Yeah, he's been that good. He's been worth a roster spot. So I like Kikuchi. I just want to see it more consistently. That's all I need is a little Definitely. bit more consistency and we can get on the Kikuchi train. Yep. Moving on to Monday, June 26th from the Daily Hitting Recap article by Gabe Gorelnick. We start with Spencer Steer of the Reds, who went 3-for-3 three three with a homer, a run, 3 RBI, and a walk. Steer is the forgotten about rookie on the Reds this season with all of the hype around Matt McClain, Andrew Abbott, and of course, Ellie De La Cruz. But Steer has really made a name for himself this season. At the moment, Steer has a 279, 367, 484 slash line with 12 homers, 41 runs, 46 RBI, and 9 stolen bases. His stat cast page isn't anything to get excited about, but he's performing, and that's what matters for your fantasy teams. The only big positive from his stat cast profile is that his chase rate and walk percentage are outstanding, meaning that he's patient at the plate and takes his walks. It clearly shows as well. When you watch him take his at-bats, he looks like a veteran. It's impressive to see, to be honest. With first base, third base, and outfield eligibility on Yahoo, Steer has been an incredible asset for your fantasy teams wherever you were able to pick him up. I'm kind of upset that I didn't really get him anywhere. Lane Thomas of the Nationals went two for five with a double, a homer, a run, and two RBI. Here's another player with a less than exciting savant page that's putting up numbers for your fantasy teams. On Monday, Thomas hit a homer off of Luis Castillo that had an EV of 106.4 miles per hour off the bat. Thomas quietly has a 298, 346, 513 slash line with 14 home runs, 56 runs, 43 RBI, and 7 stolen bases. That's remarkable. His 56 runs scored puts him 11th in all of baseball, and he plays for the Nationals. Thomas was always a buzzworthy name, especially at the end of last season where he went on a really hot stretch, but it looks like he's picked up where he left off. The only positive for him in his Savant page is the sprint speed being 93rd percentile. He's fast and will steal bases. However, his plate discipline and K percentage isn't the best, so we might see some regression on the homer and RBI totals. Still though, you can't knock how great he's been. He has been so good for your fantasy teams. And lastly, it's just nice to see Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners break out of his slump a bit recently. He had a pretty good game with a steal in this one, but it's just nice to see him not performing poorly. It's weird calling a 13-homer, 18-stolen base season a slump, but Rodriguez was definitely underperforming for a while. In the last 14 days, though, Rodriguez has gone 13 for 49 with a homer, 7 runs, 5 RBI, and 6 stolen bases. So... He's getting back on the horse there. Yeah, we're we're going to talk about um, fantasy awards um, later in this podcast, and one of the categories we were going to talk about was, um, I believe, best waiver wire pickup. And um, I was very tempted to put Lane Thomas as uh, a player there because, yeah, this season it's been it's been quietly really good. Um, I don't really think Lane Thomas has had any true, you know fantasy buzz if i'm being honest like i haven't heard too much about about him and you right. know, oh this is a guy that you need to be picking up but that slugging percentage should just tell you everything you need to know about how he's doing 513 slugging um and he's coupling that with a 298 
uh, average, which like means he's he is hitting like he's, it's not just because he's hitting a bunch of homers or things like that. Like he's generating a lot of good contact around the park. So good for him. Uh, obviously, the runs are super nice, especially playing for a team like Washington that just doesn't generate a ton of runs. Um, his, his speed is obviously really solid too, even though it's only seven bags. Like um, that, you know, it helps you out, helps your team out. Um, yeah, I just think this is a guy who, I mean, he's currently 85% rostered at Yahoo. So clearly, like, he's not really available in most leagues at this yeah. point. But he wasn't a guy that, you know, people were thinking, like, oh, this has maybe outfielder two buzz or things like that. You know, he's he's playing like an outfielder two, uh, even though, you know, he was probably more like a bench bat it during drafts. Um, so to me, like, that, that's like a really good jump. He's not necessarily going to be winning your leagues, but he is definitely contributing to... Uh, winning your weekly matchup here and there. Yeah, I mean, Lane Thomas, I think that slugging percentage comes down a bit. I mean, realistically, he's not going to hold a 513 all year. No, of course not. Yeah. It's very promising that he has that right now, right? Like, it's stuff you want to see. I mean, that 290 average is fantastic. And looking at the rest of season projections from ATC, they have him at 39 more runs, 9 homers, 32 RBI, 6 stolen bases, with a 243 average, 311 OBP, and 403 slugging. So that pretty much puts him, let's say, if his final line looks like 265, 270 batting average, let's say a 315 OBP, let's say a 460 slug, with 22 homers, 95 runs, 75, 80 RBI, and 15 stolen bases, that's a solid fantasy player. That's an outfield two or three every day of the week. Like that is extremely helpful. Yeah, it's it's also kind of cool because um, if you look at his last season stats, he's basically gone there. Right. You know, yep, last exactly. year he had sixty-two runs. This year's fifty-six. Last year had seventeen homers. This year fourteen. Yeah, I could I could list him on and on and on. Um, he's never been like this good, right? So that that's where the the hesitation comes in, right? Um. Right, his homer to fly ball rate has gone up this season, and you know that's not always a sticky thing. His BABIP is incredible; he's got a 371 BABIP right now. But, um, I, you know, this is a guy where you probably got him off the waivers because someone likely dropped him, you know, week one or week two. Um, and so honestly, you just keep running with it. And if he really starts doing poorly, like you know, that's it's kind of a you're you're okay to drop him because after all, it's it's Lane Thomas at the end of the day. Without a doubt. Moving on to pitchers from Monday from the SP Roundup article, Morning Drew from Nick Pollock. We start with Reed Detmers of the Angels, who went seven innings pitched, one earned run, two hits, two walks, and 10 strikeouts against the White Sox. There it is, Detmers' best start of the season. 17 whiffs and a 30% CSW against the lowly White Sox. In two leagues, I was forced to drop Detmers because of how bad he was performing. And of course, I had him for nothing but the bad. His last three starts have been incredible and exactly what we wanted from Detmers since we hyped him up during the preseason. In spring training, we saw Detmers increase his fastball and slider velocity, which got us all really excited. But the key to his success recently is throwing that newly increased velocity slider a bit slower. It's two miles per hour slower than when he started the season and has more vertical drop which is yielding these incredible results. He also had a remarkable 9 of 45 whiffs on the four-seamer in this one. So managers that held on to Detmers or picked him up recently are being rewarded handsomely. 
I feel like a fool, especially because he was a must-have for me this season. Him and Jeffrey Springs were two pitchers that I wanted to roster everywhere. And mm-hmm. I still have Detmers in like 12 and 15 team leagues. But in my 10-team home league, in another 12-team league, I had to let go of Detmers. And I'm just stupid. I feel so dumb about that. You know, like, it's one of those things where you kind of had to do it because it's like, okay, the results aren't there. He's blowing me Mm -hmm. up every week. I have to replace people that are injured. He's got to go. But this is what I expected. This is what I believed in. And maybe that's just a lesson for all of you out there, which is don't cut bait too early when you expect great things out of someone and they're right on the cusp. Don't give up because probably when you give up, that cusp will come around and it will come true. So very upset about Detmers not being on my team or some of my teams for this start. But man, he's been really good. So if you have Detmers, hold on tight. And then opposing Detmers in this one, we have Dylan Cease of the White Sox, who went six innings pitched, one earned run, five hits and no walks with 10 strikeouts against the Angels. That's five excellent starts in a row for Cease. And he looks like he's fully back. 10 strikeouts and no walks in this one with 17 whiffs and a 34% CSW. This start was only the second time this season where he didn't walk a batter. The last time being on opening day against the Astros. So similar to Detmers, the slider dominated in this one as it has in his last three starts. If Cease can keep throwing that slider well and avoid walking batters, well, we've already seen the upside that he possesses. So Hold on to Cease again. A lot of people maybe tried to sell low on him, and people might have tried to buy low on him as well. And I think if you did that, you really banked out because Cease can be an ace, but he's kind of frustrating in that regard. And lastly, shout out to Spencer Strider and Luis Castillo doing the typical ace is going to ace thing. Both of them had fantastic starts on Monday, and if you roster either of them, you probably feel really good about it. Yeah, honestly... I'm not going to get too hard on myself for dropping Detmers in my 10-teamer because it was pretty rough. For yeah, oh, it was horrible. Of... It was horrible. Yeah, so, I, you know, in 10-teamers, I think you kind of have to go for the next best thing because there's so many available arms on your squad, you know? Like, I, I'm looking at my roster right now, and I'm like, who do I drop for Detmers? You know, like, yeah. I kind of like all the guys that I have. Like, you know, it's kind of coming down to, you know, do I believe that, Brian Bellow is really the guy that we just saw in, in his Miami matchup, but we'll talk about it in a little bit. You know, do I believe that Tyler Wells can kind of keep it going? Or am I going to drop, you know, let's say Braxton Garrett for Reed Demers? Right, it's, yeah. You know, it's it's really tough decisions like that, which, you know, they don't necessarily make or break a season, but they do get you, you know, playing with the what-if game, which, you know, we play plenty of times on this on this podcast. Yep. Um, you know, and, and yeah, sometimes we are going to make, moves that we regret and we'll, we'll talk about a couple moves that we, we regretted a little bit later in this podcast but yeah and but... I agree too like looking at my 10 team league right I had to cut bait with Detmers because he was doing so poorly and just another thing on top of that too is he's on the Angels which has a six-man rotation and he's yeah. not going to mm-hmm. get two start weeks he was rarely going six innings for a quality start he was blowing yep. up your whip so he was doing a lot of things really badly and then when you look at it like you're right when you look at your team like in my 10 team league the person that I would drop for Detmers is like Ranger Suarez which sure Detmers has way more upside but Suarez has five straight quality starts he's been pitching incredible someone like Gavin Williams I like his upside a lot and I'd have to get rid of him to get Detmers so it's really hard to play those what-if games like you said with who you would clear out for Reed Detmers yeah and uh 
that that's what makes that's what makes fantasy fun, right? Like to to figure out what are what are the right moves to make at the right time, in order to um in order to win your leagues. Yeah, it's all the fun of being a fantasy manager. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the fun. Yeah, emphasis on the fun, right? Yeah, sometimes you want to pull your hair <laughs> out, but it's fun most of the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, moving on to Tuesday's games, uh, we're gonna start with the hitters as usual. Thanks to Mark Stubinger for his uh, hitting recap article. Uh, I'm going to start with your boy, Brandon Nippo of the Mets. Two for four with two homers, two runs, and three RBI. The Mets have been probably a bit of a disaster this season. You could probably attest to that. But Nippo's been really solid, actually. He's been outperforming his production from last season. It's not like a ton better. It's not like he's having the breakout year of breakout years. But he is improving more than what than last year, which is which is good. Um, he is on pace to eclipse his homer and RBI numbers from last year. Definitely, he's he's well on his way to break that. His ratios are also a, a tiny bit better as well compared to last year. So hopefully, he keeps uh, those going. Um, he's still very much you know like an O of three guy in, in twelve teamers, and I think that's really what you want out of Nimmo. You're not drafting him to be any better than that, and if he is better than that, then uh, you just hold on and enjoy the ride. And then, of course, we had to talk about Ronald Acuna Jr. at least once in this podcast because he went to perform with two homers, two runs, and two RBI against my twins. That brings his homer total on the season to 19. He should be breaking the 20 homer, 40 stolen bases uh, mark in a few games, which, like we mentioned, is kind of what Trey Turner is uh, on pace for. So just an incredible season from Acuna. Uh, probably the most impressive thing from him this season actually is cutting his strikeout rate in half. It's gone down from 24% to 13%. And the funny thing is you haven't really seen anything as showing that he's changed his plate discipline. His whiff rate's about the same. His O-swing percentage is about the same. His context numbers are about the same. The reality is that uh, instead of striking out, he's just hitting the ball more. Uh, And even if it doesn't always end up in a a hit, uh, that is kind of the best way to stop striking out. He has improved his average by, I think, nearly 60 points or something like that. So... He is having the season of his life, um, and yeah, you're probably pretty happy if you drafted him first. So the Mets are just a disaster, and I don't want to talk about them at all in the slightest in any capacity, (laughs) but Brandon Nimmo has been very, very good, and he is on track to outperform every season in his career with the amount of homers he has already. The most he's hit in the season, I believe, is 16, and the most stolen bases Mm -hmm. he's had is 9. So he is on track to pass both of those with ease, and Nimmo's just been a pillar at the top of the lineup for the Mets. He's been the one bright spot along with Pete Alonso that just makes you feel good about the future because we did ink Nimmo to a very long contract. And he's just a great fielder. He doesn't have any arm at all. But overall, as a baseball player, I'm very happy the Mets signed him. And for fantasy, he's actually proving to be quite an asset. Like, he was always a blank OBP guy where if you had him in an OBP league, he was very helpful, got a lot of runs, helped in that capacity. But Never really gave you a 20 homer season or 10 steals. So if he can finish the year with 20 homers, 10 stolen bases, 100 runs, and 70 RBI with a near 400 OBP, that's a pretty good player for fantasy. So Brandon Nemo looks really good. And then there's not much I can say about Acuna. I mean, I can't remember the last fantasy season that looked like what he's doing right now. I mean, 20 homers and 40 stolen bases is a real possibility before the All-Star break. And... I don't remember anybody would, who's done that. I would put money down on that. Yeah, yeah, I would too. I would too. And I don't remember anyone coming close to something like this. Like maybe prime Matt Kemp looked something like this, but not even to this capacity. And then like prime Barry Bonds, obviously the home run total is where Barry Bonds shine, but like yeah. 
this is a crazy season from Acuna. I, I was I was trying to look up like you know similar seasons and things like that uh, a couple weeks ago, and Mike Trout's second season is kind of the only one that I can draw any comparisons right. to. Yep, he had thirty homers and forty nine stolen bases in that that season, and Acuna is probably going to smash through those marks. Yeah, um, wow. So yeah, this is going to be, I, I mean, barring barring injury, which obviously we would hate to see. Like yep. this is probably going to be maybe one of the top five. Um, statistical seasons in Major League Baseball. It has to be. I mean, if he ends the year with, like, let's just say 35 homers, 50 steals, that's got to be one of the best fantasy seasons of all time. Yeah, I think the closest, I'm, I'm just looking at Bonds' uh, he had the 40-40 season in 1996. Yep. He had 33 homers and 52 stolen bases in 1990. Yeah, that's a like, big one. That's similar to what Acuna can do right now. I Acuna's gonna he has he's what probably 16 steals away from 52 or something like that around um, that yeah yeah like he's at 19 homers like I he has to hit more than what 14 homers I think in the next three four months ish yeah months yep so yeah I in my opinion this is gonna be I I don't necessarily want to predict stuff here but it's it's looking like one of the best fantasy seasons too of of any player yeah, I know that fantasy stretched back a long time. I don't know when it started or when people played, but like Ricky Henderson had a few seasons that were ridiculous where he hit right. like 25 yep. homers and stole 100 bases where things like that right. are ridiculous. But yeah. in modern day, in the time that I can remember at least, and I'm 30 years old, this is one of the most impressive fantasy seasons to date. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously no one's ever going to steal, you know, 100 bases like Ricky Henderson. But, yeah. Um. It, it's it's really incredible what Acuna is doing, and, and yeah, I don't I don't really think there's a good comparison for it because I I think anyone that we can compare him to, he's just going to smash through whatever those numbers are. I completely agree. Yeah. Well, moving on to pitchers. Uh, thanks to Nick Pollock for the uh, Turan out of gas article. SP roundup. <laughs> uh, great line there. Of course, uh, Julio Turan, who's been on a little bit of a heater, uh, ended up crashing down to earth on Tuesday. But we're not going to talk about him. We're going to talk about Gavin Williams of the Cleveland Guardians, who went up against Kansas City in his second major league start. Ended up with a no decision, but pitched seven innings with zero earned runs, one hit, one walk, and six strikeouts. Uh, honestly, it's kind of nice that you could follow up your major league debut with another soft opponent in Kansas City. Some positive takeaways from this start. Uh, the fastball was better located, got eight whiffs on his own. The secondaries weren't as well commanded, but the curveball did earn seven outs on seven balls in play. So they're at least working to his advantage, even if they're not inducing whiffs or called strikes. Uh, as we mentioned earlier in the news and notes section, it looks like the Guardians are going to stick with Williams for at least a couple more weeks as they sent down Logan Allen. Um, and so, yeah, this might be a guy that you want to target in your streamers. Um, hint, hint. Um, and then we're also going to talk about Sandy Alcantara, who, oh my goodness, it's been uh, a painful year if you roster him. He faced off against Boston on Tuesday, got the win, seven innings, one earned run, six hits, two walks, and five strikeouts. Honestly, if you just looked at that line, you'd be like, oh, that's pretty meh. You know, it's over one whip, uh, less than one strikeout per inning. Uh, but we're honestly just happy that Sandy looks like he is right of the ship. Uh, more positive takeaways from this one, the changeup, which has been fairly abysmal for Sandy this year, got a 34% CSW and earned nine whiffs. Probably more importantly, he didn't give a single hit up on the changeup. That's kind of been the um, 
the Achilles heel for that changeup. It actually has one of the better swinging strike rates in the majors this season. But when it's not getting whips, it's just getting hit. Uh, it has a 293 average against this season. For reference, last year, the average against was 150. So literally, the amount of hits he's given up on that changeup have um, essentially doubled in rate, which is crazy. His inconsistency this season has been extremely annoying, which is why even though he only gave up one and run in seven innings, we're not like that super excited about it. Uh, but hopefully it's good to see the underlying metrics for why this start worked out. And we hope that it continues next week. So as I mentioned with Gavin Williams last week when we recommended him as a streamer and possibly again this week, hint, hint, you should just roster him. And that's because he is a top prospect that we expected big things. He has a huge prospect pedigree. And I think he's just getting more comfortable. And obviously mm. the secondaries weren't commanded as well in this one. But against a bad team like the Royals, they were able to do fine. And I think as he gets more confident and as he starts throwing them more and gets more comfortable, he's going to be a weapon. I mean, look at this line. And that's with not great command on his secondaries. If he's got yeah. good command on the secondaries and the fastball stays this good, the lines are going to look a lot more like this more often. So, yeah, Gavin Williams, very impressive second start in the majors. Really liked seeing that. And then Sandy, just great to see him come back to form. I hope it continues because, one, I acquired him in a trade not too long ago, so would love to see him continue succeeding this season. And just in general, I love when good pitchers like Sandy and past Cy Young winners just continue to be great and dominate. I don't want to see someone fall off hard the next season or have a weird yep. year. So mm -hmm. I hope Sandy can continue to do well because he's a phenomenal pitcher. But moving on to Wednesday, June 28th, from the Daily Hitting Recap article by Jim Chatterton, I'm going to dub today as Victory Lap Day for me. Now, it's not a full season victory lap, just a, hey, I gave out good advice and analysis to you people sort of victory lap. Over the last three weeks, I recommended that everyone should pick these three guys up, and look at that, they're performing great. We'll start with Tommy Pham of the Mets, who went three for three with a homer, a run, an RBI, a walk, and a stolen base. He literally did everything. As I mentioned last week with my bat recommendation at the end of the podcast, Pham has been insane lately. Since he's gotten regular playing time starting on June 4th, Pham has a slash line of 321, 365, 605, and 85 plate appearances. The homer and steal in this game brings his total up to 8 and 9 respectively on the season. And like I said last week, his stat cast page makes him look like Aaron Judge or Jordan Alvarez. It's silly. One thing to note about Pham is that his vision has always been really bad, and recently he's gotten some new contact lenses that have helped him see better. Whenever he's been able to see properly, he's been great at playing baseball. Regardless with the streak that he's on now, if you didn't listen to me last week and didn't pick him up yet, if he's out there, go and pick him up now because he looks great, and if the Mets end up doing poorly and being sellers at the deadline, I guarantee you Pham is the first to go, and wherever he goes, he's going to have everyday playing time. So just a little note there as well. So Tommy Pham, incredible as of recently. Next, we have Ezekiel Duran of the Rangers, who went two for four with a homer, a run, two RBI, and a walk. Another guy that I recommended alongside Leody Tavares is Ezekiel Duran. He's a lot more rostered than Pham and the next guy that I'm going to mention, but he has been stellar at the plate. He's got second base, third base, shortstop, and outfield eligibility, and usually bats seventh in that loaded Rangers lineup. 
Duran is currently the everyday left fielder since Seager has returned and seems to be more comfortable now. In the past 11 games, Duran is slashing 432, 457, 773 with 8 extra base hits and 8 multi-hit games. Oh, and he just got one on Thursday as well, so make that 9 <laughs> multi-hit games. For the season, he has 12 home runs, 34 runs, 34 RBI, and 4 stolen bases. He went deep on Thursday as well, which makes 3 straight games with a homer for him now. There's some worry about his K percentage and his lack of walks, but so far, he's been incredible this season. And last but not least, TJ Friedel of the Reds. He went 3-for-5 with a homer, 3 runs, 3 RBI, a walk, and 2 stolen bases. Friedel is the opposite of Tommy Pham. He has an absolute hideous-looking savant page, but he's been producing. He's playing mostly every day for the Reds, even against lefties now. Against righties, he's batting leadoff, and against lefties, he tends to bat 8th. I don't think that the power will sustain since he only has a 24.4% hard hit rate, but he's hitting a lot of line drives and finding the gaps. For the season, he has a 320, 388, 498 slash line with 6 home runs, 31 runs, 31 RBI, and 14 stolen bases. I recommended about 3 weeks ago for people to pick up any Reds players such as Matt McClain, Jake Fraley, and TJ Friedel because of their upcoming schedule and the change in atmosphere around the team, and it looks like it's paid off. Yeah, Duran's kind of fun because it's like a almost like a rising tide lifts all ships sort of scenario with him because that Rangers team is electric. Um, I mean, they just they just had four starters of relief named to the All Star team. Yep. Um, which you know, take that what you will. Uh, but that is a really good team, and when everyone's hitting and everyone's getting on base, you get these RBIs, you get these runs like one through nine. Um, just really impressive to see from the Rangers. And so, yeah, Durand, one of those guys where that multi-position eligibility is super nice. You can move him around your lineup. You don't have to necessarily play him in any specific spot. Um, yeah, I, that's that's definitely one of those pickups that I stand behind. And yeah, the Reds, uh, kind of a similar situation. But yeah, Friedel's actually, funny enough, I think one of the better players on that team. Uh, when you look at WRC+, Plus or you look at WAR, in general, um, he's currently second behind Matt McLean in his WRC Plus this this season, um, over more plate appearances too. So that's that's really that's really cool to see. Um, yeah, the counting stats aren't necessarily like the the coolest thing, um, right? Only thirty one runs, thirty one RBI, but those fourteen stolen bases, man, those are those are nice. Um, and so we'll see if the we'll see if that power sustains, like you mentioned, line drives are are the finicky thing. Um, but when he plays every day and he's on this really hot team, you know, that, that really helps in the, in the counting stats department. Yeah, they've all been really, really good so far. Moving on to pitchers from Wednesday, from the SP Roundup article, Perfecto Herman from Nick Pollock, we start with the title boy himself, Domingo Herman of the Yankees, who went nine innings pitch, no earned runs, no hits, no walks, and nine strikeouts against the Athletics. The 24th perfect game in MLB history belongs to Domingo Herman. It's the first perfect game since Felix Hernandez in 2012. I'm going to ignore the fact that Herman is a terrible human being and that he got called out twice for sticky stuff and suspended once for it, but what a day for Herman. It's always awesome to watch baseball history and to see every player's reaction to it. I'm a sucker for great baseball moments. I tear up on things like this. Like I just love watching baseball. As the famous line says, it's hard to not be emotional about baseball. So I'm a sucker for that. I love seeing things like this. In terms of fantasy, though, there isn't really anything actionable with Herman. This came against a horrible athletics team, and in his last two starts, Herman gave up 15 earned runs to the Red Sox and the Mariners. He's a cherry bomb that is a streamer option at best, 
But hey, welcome to the history books, Domingo. Next, we have Dane Dunning of the Rangers, who went 8.2 innings pitched, two earned runs, four hits, no walks, 10 strikeouts against the Tigers. This would have been a complete game shutout for Dunning, but after 26 outs, he gave up a single to Andy Ibanez and a homer to Kerry Carpenter before being pulled. Dunning had an excellent 37% CSW in this one, but like Herman, there's nothing really actionable for Dunning in terms of fantasy. This was more of a, the Tigers aren't good than Dunning is elite situation. I think Dunning is a good pitcher, and I think that he's an excellent streamer or deep league option, but he's not someone you're running to the wire to grab after this start. It was just a phenomenal start. And then last but not least, Lucas Giolito of the White Sox went seven innings pitched, four earned runs, six hits, no walks, and nine strikeouts against the Angels. Someone that I believed would bounce back this season was Lucas Giolito, and he's doing just that. He had 16 whiffs and a 35% CSW in this one against the Angels, and honestly, don't let the four earned runs fool you. He gave up back-to-back -back triples to Otani and Trout, followed by a single that brought Trout in for two earned runs in the first inning. Then he gave up only one hit for the next five innings, came back out for the seventh, and gave up two solo shots to Brandon Drury and Hunter Renfro. I was upset that he lost the quality start, but... This was a much better performance than the four earned runs suggest. He was averaging 94 miles per hour on the fastball, had seven slider whiffs, and six changeup whiffs, looking the best he has all season. Last season, in 161.2 innings pitched, Giolito finished with a 4.90 ERA, and a lot of people wrote him off, but he's currently at a 3.53 ERA in 99.1 innings pitched, with 108 strikeouts and a league-leading 17 games started. He's always been a 350 ERA, 110 whip guy with the potential for better numbers, and he's exactly that guy this year. You'll love to see Giolito returning to form. Yeah. Uh, Termon, I have a little bit of an annoyance against because one of his, you know, supposed sticky stuff starts was against the Twins. So yep, of course. That's just never going to ingratiate a player to me. Uh, but, you know, props to him because, yeah, like you mentioned, it's been, what, 11 years since the last perfect game? Uh, just kind of crazy. Um, it's kind of crazy. It's been that long. Obviously, we had the whole Carlos Rodon. Um, yeah. Yeah, hit a dude on the foot. And Max Scherzer, of. too, where the guy leaned into the pitch with his elbow. Yeah, yeah. So so a couple, like, near misses, which kind of kind of unfortunate. Um, obviously, we had that season. I think it was two years ago. We had, like, five no-hitters or something like that in the first Yeah, it was two, crazy. Like, in, in a little bit of a span, there was, like, three. It was crazy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, who was it? Spencer Turnbull, I think, got one of them. Yep. Which <laughs> yep that was one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's, it's obviously, you know, feats like this, they do not come that often. So it's obviously still kind of cool to see, even if it's coming from a guy like Herman, who let's just be honest, has not been very good this season. Um, and yeah, Giolito kind of impressed on how he's kind of, he's turned it around a little bit here. Um, obviously it's never fun pitching against the angels. Um, that's just, uh, you could, you could give up stuff like back-to-back -back triples because, um, that's how good Otani and Trout are. Um, but yeah, hopefully it, it, it is turning to a little bit of a upswing for him. Uh, obviously he's had struggles kind of dating back to last year. Um, it, it seemed like he righted the ship a little bit early this season and then just had some pretty mess starts. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good to see that he's kind of back to where we expect him to be at. Yep. All right. Well, moving on to Thursday's games, uh, the reality is because we record this podcast on a Thursday. Some of the stats that we are talking about right now aren't completely final yet, but we figured we'd bring those performances to you because they're important. Uh, however, one guy who did finish his game, Spencer Torkelson of Detroit, he went two for three with four RBI, two walks, and two homers. 
that's a good sign for Torque, who pretty much has been barely startable this year. His slash line's 218, 297, 369. Honestly, it's been a rough follow-up season to kind of a poor rookie season. Um, his stats are a little bit better this year, but it's not uh, the stats of a guy who, you know, was lauded as basically the best college hitter in history. Um, it's been pretty rough for him. So that's unfortunate. The counting stats are kind of decent, though. 34 runs, 9 homers, 35 RBI. You know, that's serviceable, I think, in a 15-teamer or, you know, a league that has, um, you know, middle infield, corner infield, or multiple utility spots. Um, the problem is he is having a high ground ball rate. Uh, that's just kind of dubbing him, uh, even though he has a lot of hard contact, which is good. Um, a lot of, Sometimes he's just hitting that straight into the ground and really isn't helping him. So Spencer Torkerson, good night for him. Hopefully this turns into something that is a little bit actionable. And then a guy who currently is in the middle of his game, but we figured let's just talk about him because he's having a good one. Kyle Tucker, who's currently two for three with a homer, two runs, five RBIs, and a walk. Tucker's been... I don't know. He's been kind of weird this season because he's been good, but he hasn't been great. Um, I have him on one of my fantasy teams, and it's 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 nice to have him like a solid player. He just isn't performing like a, you know like a first or second round talent. He currently has uh, 38 runs and 44 RBIs on the season. Has 14 steals, which is good for 21st in the league. All the advanced stats seem to indicate that he should be doing really really well. His hard contact rate's 36. percent um, his strikeout rate is 13%, which is really low. It's good for not the 93rd percentile. Um, his average OBP and slugging are all solid. You know, they're kind of 80th percentile numbers, but they're not like the 90th percentile numbers that we were expecting uh, from a guy like Tucker, which, you know, sometimes we can't have really high expectations for players like this. Um, you know, they're having a good season by by every stretch of the metric. They just aren't having maybe elite seasons. And maybe we're fly by that because Ronald Acuna Jr. is having a, a six season. So uh, <laughs> there is that. Um, and then just a shout out to Trey Turner. We did mention him earlier in this uh, pod, but he also got two more stolen bases today. So uh, he might be on track to get a few more bags than uh, what we initially predicted. So good for him to get the train back on the tracks for this past month. And hopefully it does lead to some better performances uh, in July and August. So I think in a few years, Spencer Torkelson is going to be really good. Obviously, right now, it's hard to roster him in fantasy, but I think he's going to be a, one of those staple first basemen that hit 30 home runs and have like a 340 OBP. Just one of those guys like super undervalued, kind of like Christian Walker, mm -hmm. where he's going to be more helpful than not. Just right now, it's tough. And this is a great game from him on Thursday. I think in AL only leagues, 15 teamers, you can roster Torkelson. Other than that, he's probably irrelevant. And it's just really nice to see Kyle Tucker playing like we expected him to because he hasn't been incredible, but he hasn't been a drought. Like he hasn't yeah. been something that just dries up your team and is a waste of that first round pick. Right, exactly. So it's good to see him playing well. And hey, five RBI in a game is always welcomed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's not playing as poorly as Trey Turner on the season, right? Correct. And so yep. I think we can be pretty happy about that. Uh, moving on to pitchers, we had a couple pitchers duels uh, today. Uh, the first one we're going to highlight is between the Marlins and the Red Sox. The Red Sox pitcher of note was Brian Bayo, who pitched seven innings with two hits, one and run, one walk, and five strikeouts. Uh, Bayo had a no-hitter going through seven innings, but then gave up a couple hits in the eighth uh, and was eventually pulled. 
His sinker led the way with a 41% CSW. It also earned uh, 13 called strikes. The changeup was getting whiffs, finished ultimately with a 35% CSW as well. So really two effective pitches uh, that got the job done for him. We would like to see more effectiveness from the four-seamer, which is his second most used pitch. Uh, but when the sinker and the changeup are leading to seven uh, essentially no-hit innings, I don't think we can really complain with that. The pitcher opposing him was Jesus Luzardo, who we did mention, so I'm not going to cover too much about this. But he went 6.1 innings with three hits, one walk, and nine strikeouts. Like we mentioned, that slider's kind of been his bread and butter for the past few games. Had a 48% CSW, 12 whiffs alone. The changeup still wasn't there in terms of getting um, any whiffs, uh, but did result with two balls in play that both resulted in outs, so at least it's turning into positive outcomes for him. The other pitcher's duel that we want to mention was uh, the Blue Jays versus uh, the Giants. Uh, you're not going to know who the Giants pitcher was. Uh, some dude named Keaton Wynn. Uh, <laughs> let me know if you've heard of Keaton Wynn before. Um, but he had a decent game today. Uh, he went six innings um, and, uh, you know, pretty solid day for him. But honestly, not a guy who you should be focusing on. Uh, did give up a two-run shot to Vladimir Guerrero Jr., so a little bit unfortunate there. The other guy that we want to talk about, though, is Chris Bassett, who went six innings with 12 strikeouts, three hits, three walks against the Giants. Um, everything seemed to be working for him. Savant, I think, said that he threw eight different types of pitches, which I think was kind of insane. Um, but all eight of those were pretty solid, not going to lie. Uh, the slider was maybe the one thing that wasn't very good. He threw two of them, and both of them were... Uh, uh, I believe taken for uh, just uh, fouls or something like that. Basically, he didn't get anything good with the with the two sliders. But the sinker had a 43% CSW. The four-seamer had a 35% CSW. His two fastballs were just really working well with each other. Uh, his sinker, I, I was watching this start. The sinker is kind of disgusting in its movement. So even though it's a little bit of a slower pitch, only 92.5 miles an hour is the average. Um, was doing enough to fool guys. Um, he had 18 total whips on the night, peppering the strike zone, like I mentioned, with a bunch of different pitches. The curve and the cutter were his main whiff pitches. Um, got seven or five total on both of them, uh, ultimately combined for about a 31% CSW. So good start for Chris Bassett um, after kind of a couple rough ones a couple weeks ago. He hasn't really been going six innings, so it's nice to see him go six as well in this one. Um, so, yeah, Bassett. Uh, I don't know if he's completely back, but he is uh, showing good form, at least. So just a quick few comments on Bayo and Bassett. Bayo's been phenomenal. He's now got five quality starts in a row and six quality starts in his last seven outings. He's been everything you could ask for this season and probably better. I mean, a 327 ERA for the season, a 127 whip. These will both go down after today's start as well. Just impressive from a young pitcher that we expect good things from. He added a cutter. Just looks like a good pitcher, and if he's doing this at this young age and while still improving, I can only be excited about the future. And then Chris Bassett, yeah, it's great to see him back on track. I have him in a few leagues as well, and he had two or three, yeah, three starts in a row that were just horrendous against yeah. Baltimore, which that one was surprising. Mm -hmm. The Rangers, which wasn't surprising, but still, you don't expect it to be that bad. And then against the Athletics, which is the complete yeah. opposite of what you think would happen. So yeah. it's, 
it's nice to see him have a start like this where he rebounds. I don't want to say he's back or not back. I don't think he went anywhere. I think he had three really bad starts, but this is Chris Bassett, not the 12 strikeouts. That's a mirage, but mm -hmm. him being able to work with that sinker because the sinker was the problem in these three starts where he pitched bad is that he didn't have the movement on it. It wasn't being located well. He wasn't throwing up for strikes. Like the sinker was performing really poorly and he had to rely on his other pitchers, which were getting hammered. So I think this is the start of the turn of getting rid of those bad starts. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because Bassett actually got dropped in my home league. And Ooh. I was like, oh, I have to pick up Bassett, not realizing that he had, you know, basically two, three inning duds. Yeah. Uh, but you with guys like Bassett, like you just have to believe that, oh, yeah, he just had one bad start. Like he'll be back. Um, of course, then I had him for that Oakland start, which got me a little nervous. I was like, oh, I don't know if he's, yeah. he's lost. Um, but it's good to see this sort of uh, game where, like you mentioned, the sinker is kind of back. But, um, yeah, he wasn't he wasn't really getting any whiffs on the sinker at all. He right. got six of them this game, which is really good to see. And, uh, yeah, it, it'll be good to see how this progresses for Bassett uh, because he was really, really solid at the beginning of the season. Um, probably outperforming what a lot of people were expecting from him. Um, so it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how he continues. Yeah, he went on a great run at the beginning of the season, and against a pretty good offense in San Francisco, he made them look kind of silly in this one. So I mm -hmm. have good expectations for Bassett moving forward. Now, we've went a little bit long already in this podcast so far, but we have something fun coming up. So we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will have our fantasy awards and pitcher and hitter streamers. We'll be back after this. We're back and we're going to do something a little bit different today. We are going to give out fantasy awards to players based on a few different categories. Those categories are, which were made up by us, MVP, I called it clutch fade, most improved, best value, best waiver wire pickup, best rookie call up, biggest regret, missed out on, and a least valuable player. So I'll kick things off. We'll start with the MVP category. And my MVP this season is obviously Ronald Acuna Jr. I think the AL and NL MVPs are pretty much written in stone at this point, as long as everyone remains healthy, because these two guys that we're going to talk about are just leaps and bounds better than everyone right now. And it's pretty impressive. Now, I only have one share of Acuna, but obviously he's my MVP because the season he's having, as we mentioned earlier, I don't want to talk too much about it, but it's a historic season in fantasy where I can't remember the last time someone had numbers like this before the All-Star break. Like, I remember when Judge was hitting homers last season where it was like, oh my God, he's got this amount before the All-Star break. I can't remember someone who's had 19 homers and 36 steals with a 400 OBP before the All-Star break. It's just remarkable. So Ronald Acuna Jr. in the outfield, which is a slim position this year, doing what he's doing, it is by far the best you could ever ask for. So, John, who's your MVP for fantasy this season? Well, I got to go with the other guy, Shohei Otani, uh, who is currently leading the league in homers, which is incredible. Uh, but not only that, he also currently has a 3.12 ERA and a 1.05 whip. Uh, this is a guy who is dominating on both sides uh, of the the field, I guess you could say. It feels weird to say that in baseball terms, but yeah, yeah. Um, he is, yeah, truly kind of a, a unicorn, you know. Like in terms of you know pitching, he isn't like necessarily leading the league in ERA or leading the league in WHIP, but he is, you know, dominating in the way that we all expect him to be. He's currently second in K per nine. 
Um, his innings pitch has been pretty solid this season, considering that, again, he's on that six-man uh, six rotation that they have uh, in Los Angeles. I have a soft spot for Shohei because he's on my home league team. I paid a third of my auction budget for Shohei. And initially, I was, like, really scared by how much money I spent on him. Um, but it's been worth every penny, in my opinion. He's been so good, both pitching and hitting. It just really annoys me that I have him on ESPN. And I think ESPN at least does this right, where he is... You can have him as both a pitcher and a hitter, but you can't have him in both at the same time. Uh, unlike Yahoo, where there's basically two versions of Otani. Um, so it does annoy me when I put him in as a pitcher and then he goes and hits a homer. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like yep. oh, I wasn't able to take advantage of that homer. That sucks. Um, but that being said, though, this is a guy who basically shuts down offenses and then takes uh, his bat to the plate and helps his team's offense. Yeah, we didn't even mention that his last start, which shame on us, by the way, his last start, I did give a shout out to him, but in that start, he struck out 10 and at the plate, he had two home runs, which yeah. is just something that doesn't happen. It shouldn't happen. It's almost unfathomable. Like the last pitcher that I remember hitting two home runs was Noah Syndergaard, where I think he struck out eight in that game against the Dodgers. But for Shohei to strike out 10 and hit two homers and lead the league in homers and have a bunch of strikeouts and a low ERA and whip, it's just outlandish I mean we are truly seeing the best player in fantasy and I think if you are in a daily league where you can interchange him and he's one player he's the number one overall fantasy player I know Acuna is having the best season ever but mm -hmm. I think Shohei moving forward is the best fantasy asset if you can use him as a pitcher and hitter in a daily league he's just yeah. obviously the most important but both of these guys are insane. I mean, Otani leads the league in homers. Acuna leads the league in runs with 71 already in 80 games. He almost has a run scored per game played. That's ridiculous. And he also leads the NL in plate appearances with 368. So Acuna is everything you could ask for. Otani is everything you could ask for. And they are the clear MVPs for fantasy and baseball right now. The next award we have is the I called it award, which is something that we came up with, meaning that we called this guy being good for fantasy. We called it in the preseason. We drafted him. We believed in him and they did it. They did what we thought they would do. And for me, that award goes to Corbin Carroll. I was all over this guy. After he got called up last season, I picked him up everywhere. That wasn't a dynasty league, of course. Grabbed him everywhere, watched him play and was just enamored because I was impressed with this guy's skill set. I think that he is incredible all across the diamond in the field. He's insane. His speed obviously is 100th percentile. Like he is the fastest guy in the majors, probably neck and neck with Ellie De La Cruz now. Before Ellie got called up, Corbin was by far the fastest in the league. He's got pop. He does everything right. And I saw him in spring training. I saw everything he could do. I saw the possibility of what could happen. And I looked at him and said, you know what? I think this guy could have a Trey Turner type season in the fifth round plus from the outfield, which is a thinner position this season. And he's done just that. I mean, Corbin Carroll has been one of the best fantasy players this season. He has a 292 average, 17 home runs, 44 RBI, 24 stolen bases, 60 runs, 369 OBP, 563 slug, 932 OPS. I could go on and on about Corbin Carroll. My favorite player of all time is Ichiro. 
And as a kid, because I didn't have a lot of power, I was fast, I was a great contact hitter, I looked up to Ichiro. He made getting base hits and stealing bases cool in my era. So I loved Ichiro. And the closest thing I've seen to Ichiro is Corbin Carroll. I love the way he plays the game. I love the way he wiggles in the box. He's so loose and free, which just unlocks all of the range of motion in your hips and the power. I think that Corbin Carroll is a special baseball player and an even more special fantasy player. And hey, I called it. John, what about you? Who's your I called it player this season? Yeah, for me, it's got to be Adelis Garcia. Um, uh, I think for me, he is one of those guys who consistently flies under the radar. Um, his ADP was around the same where Corbin Carroll was going. So, you know, both of these guys were very well deserving. But Adelis Garcia right now uh, is leading the majors in RBI. He is fifth in runs. He's sixth in homers. Um, the only blemish really is his average, uh, which, um, you know, it's not necessarily horrible. It's 264, but it's not, you know, like a, a top 30 average. And he only has six stolen bases on the season, which is kind of weird considering how many other players are getting stolen bases and setting career highs there. So that's kind of annoying for, for Adelis. But at the same time, like he is a guy who is contributing in three categories. He is going to well eclipse probably his previous season high. He's currently, like I mentioned, 66 RBIs, 60 runs. His highest totals before last season, 101 RBIs, 88 runs. He's going to destroy those numbers yeah. this season. Um, his average is better than it's been in the previous years, which I think is a boost to the type of player that he is. His walk rate's also gone up this year, which is great if you're in OVP league. I just think this is a guy who is the complete package. He should not have been going in, you know, round five, round six, in my opinion. He should have been up there with top outfielders. Um, you know, maybe let's let's pump the grace. He's not as good as Ronald Cunha Jr., but right. you know, he's putting up numbers that you probably would have expected someone like Mike Trout to put up. Uh, someone um, with a little bit more power in his game, like Kyle Schwarber, maybe. Um, you know, I think I think to me. Uh, Autolis is hitting his prime uh, right now, and it's uh, yeah, it's a cool thing to watch. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, Adolis Garcia is someone I love too. I think both of us were really high on Adolis yeah. the past like few seasons. Like even when yes. people were doubting him, we were always on top of him. Like we always liked him. So it's great to see that you called it, and you were always on Adolis. So props to you. I mean, he's been so good. The Rangers have been so hot. No one could have predicted the Rangers' offense being sure. as good as yeah. they've been. <laughs> But yeah. we expected Adolis to do this regardless of how good that offense was. So right. it's just a bonus that his numbers are going to get because of how good the offense is around him. And same with Corbin Carroll. And I'm going to talk a lot about Diamondbacks players moving forward because I believe that the Diamondbacks were a better team than they were given the look at. Because mm -hmm. Corbin Carroll, like I said, the only thing I wasn't sure about was the power. And he's squanched all of the concerns I had already. So mm -hmm. both of these guys, well-deserving of the I Called It Awards, both fantastic players that probably went too late in drafts this season. And next season, we're going to pay a hefty penny for them. Yeah. Next, we have the Clutch Fade Award. And what we mean by this is someone that we are happy we didn't get any shares of, that we thought were too high of a price and ended up not being worth that price. And my clutch fade was Alec Manoa. I really don't have to go too far in depth about this one, but Alec Manoa was going as a top 20 pitcher in drafts this season, and I just didn't see it. I didn't get it. And Alec Manoa is a great pitcher. I'm not trying to dump on Alec Manoa here. 
I just didn't think his price was going to reflect on what he would give you. And I thought pitchers around his range and just the hitters around his range, I'd rather go those routes than take the gamble on Manoa. So I didn't end up with any shares of him, and thankfully so, because he was optioned a rookie ball. He's been that bad this season. And I'll just say one thing is that his first rookie ball start the other day, he went 2.2 innings pitch, gave up 11 earned runs, 10 hits, 2 homers, and 2 walks. That's not good in rookie ball. 11 earned runs. So obviously that doesn't matter too much. He might just be working on things. But still, I am glad I did not end up with Manoa anywhere because he really has been like the worst player this season. John, who was your clutch fade for the year? Yeah, mine's not as drastic as yours. Yeah. I think Alec Manoa by far like takes the cake for this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, My answer here, who actually I hope... uh disproves me for the rest of the season is uh michael harris the second um i just thought he was going way too high you know a lot of people were putting him you know above randy rosarena above cedric mullins you know as like this the, he's the it guy and you know granted cedric mullins hasn't been great and randy is having a, a career year which is which is cool to see i just thought of a guy who you know hasn't had a ton of at bats in the majors you know he he did play a decent amount of last year but not the full season i don't think he played a half season um and all of a sudden he's shooting up draft boards as this guy who oh you know this is the guy you need to take really for upside in in outfield um you know going going ahead of guys like corbin carroll for example who right. had a similar profile in that kind of power speed combo a little bit um yeah to me michael harris the second was just drafted way too high i i didn't want any shares of him he has turned it around a little bit in recent yep. history. We did talk about him last week. Um, he is finally starting to kind of kind of catch a stride here a little bit. But to me, he was just drafted way too high. Um, and yeah, it just I, I didn't think he was worth that much. The the honorable mention here I'd maybe name is Bobby Witt Jr. because there was yeah. some insane takes on him. But he's at least been okay this season where you haven't regretted having Bobby Witt Jr. on your team. There's definitely been times that you've regretted having Michael Harris a second on your team. Yeah, that's a great point that you just made there because, honestly, Harris has turned it around in a big way as of late. He's been much better since returning from the injury, and he has been very, very good. And actually, I was going to make my best pickup, Michael Harris II, but that's only in my 10-team home league where there's a little bit of a different scenario. So I was able to grab him in one league where I didn't think I'd get any shares of him because I also was avoiding him in drafts too, believe it or not, because I thought he was going too high, like you said. I agree with everything you said. And... For those first two months, he really cement bricked you all the way down because he didn't give you anything. He was doing hard. He was batting under 200. Right. So I agree that he was going way too high in drafts, but now he's turning it around. And it's good to see because you don't want to see guys struggle. But in terms of a clutch fade, Harris was a great shout for dodging because I didn't get any shares of him. I only have one, and that's where I was able to pick him up. And that's when he got hot too. So I'm very happy about that. But yeah, that's a good clutch fade. Moving on to the most improved player for fantasy, and my pick is Cattell Marte, and I feel really dumb, and I'm going to say that because I was super high on the Diamondbacks, like I said. I was super high on Corbin Carroll. I was super high on Christian Walker, who I might mention in just a minute, but I wasn't high on Cattell Marte, and I know the reason, and it's stupid, and I don't want to say it because I'm going to look stupid. And all of you out there who listen to me think of me as a smart person with good fantasy advice, and I'm going to say something stupid. And the stupid thing is, is last year, 
I was very high on Cattell Marte because I love Cattell Marte as a player. I was high on him every single year. And then last year, I finally got him where his value was a little bit less. I think he was going in like the fifth or sixth rounds in most 10 and 12 team leagues. And I drafted him and he was horrible. So recency bias, which should never be a thing in fantasy, took on me and I said, ah, I don't want any Cattell Marte. Pass him away. And man, I look stupid because he's been so good this season. I mean, if you just look at what he's done this year, I mean, he's ranked in the top 15 on Yahoo right now, which is just incredible. But if you look at the numbers right now, last season in 2022, he had 12 homers in 137 games with five stolen bases, a 240 average and a 320 OBP. Well, in 2023 so far, in 75 games, he has 15 home runs, 44 RBI, which, by the way, he had 52 RBI in 2022, so he's only eight off of tying that. He's got six stolen bases, which is one more than last year. The homers is three more, 294 batting average, 373 OBP, 522 slug. Cattell Marte has been a top three second baseman this season, probably behind Semien and maybe Albies. Just incredible. I mean... Cattell Marte has really been great, and he is clearly the most improved. He's already beat most of his stats from last season in half the amount of games. So just a big shout-out to Cattell Marte. I'm sorry that recency bias made me not select you in drafts. He was going way too late in drafts to begin with. He was going in, like, the 12th, 13th, 14th rounds in most drafts. Just sad because he's been so good. And also just shout-out to Lucas Giolito because, like I mentioned before, he had a 490 ERA last season, but the year before that, he had a 3.53 ERA, and right now his ERA is 3.53. So I think everyone gave up on Giolito a little bit too early, but Cattell Marte has easily been the most improved fantasy player in my eyes. What about you, John? Uh, yeah, just a little shout out to Cattell Marte. Like his NFBC ADP was kind of the, basically 200. Yeah, horrible. Um, yeah, and he's the base, uh, like based on kind of his, his season this year in a 5x5 five five category. Um, I'm just using the Fangraphs auction calculator to do this math, but he's right. the third best, third best second baseman right now, behind Semyon and Mookie. And oh, Mookie! Okay. If you don't count Mookie, uh, Cattell's the second best second baseman right now. Yeah, so, crazy. Um, yeah, really impressive stuff from him, uh, and yeah, clearly showing that Arizona. That, you know, part of the reason they're doing so well is because guys like Cattell Marte are, are showing up and, and yep. doing work. Uh, the guys that I want to highlight here, uh, I have one on offense and one in pitching. I don't know if I truly believe that this is the most improved, but Christian Yelich to me is a guy who has like kind of improved his stock in terms of offense. Like he wasn't the best sort of player last year. He was serviceable, but he hurts you in average. He hurts you in RBIs. He did well with runs in, I mean, he was a good stolen base target, uh, you know, back when stolen bases were a little bit of a rarity. But he wasn't doing the normal things we expect out of Yelich, which is either hitting for average or hitting for power. He wasn't doing either of those things. So that kind of sucked. But this season, he's been doing a little bit more of that. Um, you know, he's getting runs. He's, again, contributing to the stolen base season. Uh, he is, you know, hitting better for average. So it's good to see that he is improving. I don't know if I'd call him most improved, but he was kind of the name that came to mind. The guy that I really want to highlight here is Nathan Eovaldi, who like basically has turned his career entirely around um, and has become the ace of the the Texas Rangers organization after we all know our favorite pitcher and yours, Jacob DeGrom, uh, basically blew out his heart. So a little unfortunate there, but Eovaldi is basically, uh, you know, made of the slack, which is really impressive. 
the numbers, you know, a 2.82 ERA versus a 3.87 ERA, which is really impressive. The the 3.08 FIP versus a 4.3 FIP is is good to see here. Um, you know, his his K per nine is about the same. He is walking guys a little bit more. He's giving up less home runs, which is nice. His BABIP's lower. Um, basically, there's a lot of things that you're showing. Like he, he, if we're talking about fantasy specifically, he went from a guy who was basically completely irrelevant in drafts to a guy who, you know, is is essentially a top five pitcher. Uh, I, I, there's a little bit of worry in his game. If you've been following on um, Nick's SP roundups, as well as being on the Discord, you'll be aware that his fastball velocity has gone down. So there's maybe a little worry behind Evaldi. But this is a guy whose NFBC ADP was 240. Basically, going undrafted in in like 12 teamers and things like that. Um, or very end of the draft. And yet he currently is the third best pitcher in baseball. So um, just really impressive stuff there from Evaldi. Yeah, it's great to see. I mean, I remember Eovaldi is like a top 80 pitcher going into the year where you're like, oh, yeah, I'll use him for my last pick in the draft. Or, yeah, sure, I'll take a shot on him when you don't know who you're going to choose at the very end. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. give me Eovaldi. And, yeah, he's been elite this season. It's great to see. As long as he stays healthy, he's looking really, really good. And same with Christian Yelich. As long as he stays healthy, too, his turnaround's been great. I mean, he nearly has the exact amount of stolen bases he had last season. Last season, I believe he had... Yeah, 19 stolen bases. He's at 18 already, and we're only halfway through the season. And he's got nine homers, and last season he had 14. So he's well on pace to destroy that as well. So both of those are definitely good, most improved players. Next, we have best value. The best value award goes to someone who was the best value in drafts, which was pretty much someone who's way overperforming where you drafted them. And we could use stuff like Cattell Marte and Nathan Ivaldi, who we just mentioned. But in terms of my best value... Once again, it's a Diamondback player. It's Christian Walker. In my 10-team keeper league, I was able to get Christian Walker in round 15. In my 12-team satellite league, I was able to get him in round 11. And right now, he's the fourth best first baseman. I mean, Christian Walker has been everything you could ask for and more. Because, once again, that Diamondbacks lineup has been phenomenal. They've been an amazing team. And Walker this season has 44 runs, 16 homers, 54 RBI, four stolen bases, and a 344 OBP, which is just incredible to see because last season he had a great stat line, 84 runs, 36 homers, 94 RBI, and two stolen bases. So to me, Christian Walker was just being criminally undervalued in drafts to the point where I don't know why more people weren't jumping on him. Like, all of his advanced stats and baseball savant numbers looked incredible. His home run total was 36. So, like, what more could you want from Christian Walker? And to me, he was just going way too late. And I'm happy I was able to jump on that value because, like I said, I had the same thought process, which, shame on me for not having that with Cattell Marte, is that, hey, Corbin Carroll's probably going to lead off, which obviously he's batting third. But Corbin Carroll leads off, or Jake McCarthy leads off, and Corbin Carroll bats second. Christian Walker is going to bat third. This was my thought process going into the year. And both those guys are fast. They're going to steal bases. He's going to get over 100 RBI with ease. Why wouldn't I want Christian Walker to benefit off the backs of Corbin Carroll? And it worked out. So, yeah, my best value award goes to Christian Walker. He's been phenomenal this year. Yeah, my my best value pick goes to a catcher, Jonah Heim. Uh, to me, value... You know, it's a we could we could have mentioned Yelich, could have mentioned Yavaldi. We're yep. going to talk about best waiver wire pickup, and a lot of those guys can be best value here. I think for me, uh, 
time has been really valuable because he's played a lot of games. Um, he has a lot of RBI this season, 55 total. The average is pretty solid, 279. The kind of the nearest comp to him is Will Smith, who I think a lot of people peg as, you know, kind of the number one catcher in terms of fantasy value. Um, he has played less games than Haim uh, this season because he was dealing with some injuries. He does have similar run and homer numbers. So that's a, that is, I think, about Haim, where he's maybe not as high in, ter in terms of producing per game. But in terms of a guy who was going, you know, basically at the end of drafts, you know, not even uh, on a top 10 list of catchers, top 12 list of catchers, uh, he is, you know, solidly probably the, the best catcher in the game in terms of fantasy production, fantasy production right now. I think Will Smith does eventually overtake him, but Will Smith was a guy who was going a lot earlier than Haim. Um, and so being able to kind of wait on catcher and, you know, instead of picking up a catcher in like, let's say, round six or round five, you got someone else like, let's just say, Adolis Garcia. Right. And then, you you know, let's say you just picked up Haim at the end of your drafts, Right. Like, Haim is producing, like, a six-round catcher, uh, which is really, really good to see, really impressive. Um, and obviously, we talked about Haim at length in a couple podcasts ago, uh, why he's doing so well. And, yeah, let's let's hope that continues for the rest of the season. Yeah, Haim's been such a good catcher option. And once again, that Rangers lineup has been phenomenal. And it's funny so far, the theme is I've picked three Diamondback players, Corbin Carroll, yeah. Cattell Marte, Christian Walker, you picked three Rangers, Adolis Garcia, yeah. Nathan Eovaldi, and Jonah Heim. So it's clear it's, that the two great offenses right now are really good. Yeah, it's really funny that none of us have mentioned any Tampa Bay players, but it would be remiss of us to not mention guys like Yandy Diaz, who's just been hitting the cover off the ball. So yes, absolutely. Um, and honestly, for the next section, best waiver wire pickup, I could have went with Yandy Diaz, but I didn't get any shares of him. So personally, I can't add him in that. But he's someone that would be in this section, the best waiver wire pickup trophy, because he was someone that really went undrafted everywhere because he was just a middling third base option that had very low pop and wasn't going to play a lot with the Rays. And he ended up being phenomenal. But for me, the best waiver wire pickup so far has been Marcelo Zuna. He's been very, very good recently. And honestly, my advice right here is he might be available in your league. He's only 47% rostered on Yahoo, and outfield's been thin, like I said, and he's not ranked very high on Yahoo. He's the 200th ranked player, but for the season, he has a 251 average, a 332 OBP, and a 493 slug in 64 games. He's at 16 home runs, has 37 RBI, and he's scored 33 runs. So for essentially free, you've gotten 16 homers and 37 RBI, and that's with like the first month and a half, him being absolute garbage. So <laughs> Ozuna has been heating up as of late, and to get him for free out there because no one was picking this guy up or drafting this guy, especially after his start, no one wanted anything to do with him, and he's been really, really good. So in terms of production that I got off the wire, Marcelo Ozuna's probably been the best for me across my 10 and 12 team leagues. Mm-hmm. But those guys who grabbed Yandy Diaz or Spencer Steer or something, those guys have been really, really good for waiver wire pickups. So I was able to get Marcelo Zuna, who I think you guys can still get, and I recommend you get him. But yeah, that's what I'm talking about, Marcelo Zuna from the Braves. <laughs> what about you? Yeah. Who's your best waiver uh, wire pickup? Yeah, so two uh, honorable mentions to Spencer Steer and James Outman, who I never picked up, but yeah. have been guys that you know picked up and been doing really well. My yep. my best pickup of this season so far has been Tyler Wells. Um, former, you know, Twins pitcher who got traded to the Orioles. Um, 
he his his NFBC ADP is kind of hilarious. It was um, five fifty eight. So wow. basically, he's just not going in drafts. Uh, based on the Fangraphs auction calculator right now in a five by five league, he's the fifth best pitcher. Um, Wells has been it's been kind of legit actually. If you if you've been reading SP roundups and things like that, like this is kind of believable. It's not necessarily like a cherry bomb sort of thing. Like he's his numbers are not like insane. He has a nine point two three K per nine, basically a strikeout and inning sort of dude. ERA three point two. Um, his FIP is five point four four point five seven, which isn't great. But hey, when you play in Baltimore, you got the wall. Uh, you'll take it. Um, you'll be able to kind of deal with that stuff. His, his BABIP is kind of low, 193. So, you know, there, there's some things that may be a little worrying in the whole stats makeup. But to me, he feels legitimate. He feels like a guy who is going to continue uh, producing for the rest of the season. Um, I don't know. The Orioles somehow, like, were able to generate, like, pretty decent pitching this year. Kyle Gibson's been, you know, randomly solid. Um, obviously, Grayson Rodriguez hasn't been phenomenal, but Tyler Wells, on the other hand, has been a really solid um, starter for uh, for the Orioles. So that's my best waiver wire pickup. I mean, that's a guy who, you know, I'm not saying he's going to be a top 10 pitcher for the rest of the season. I think that's a little outlandish. But for a guy who contribute can, can contribute like top 30 performance off the waiver wire, uh, I'll take that any day. Yeah, Tyler Wells has been really good, and if you picked him up off the wire, I'm sure you are ecstatic about that because he wasn't even ranked in the top 500 going into the season. So, yeah, great yeah. performance there from Tyler Wells. John and I both have the same trophy for best rookie call-up. It's Ellie De La Cruz. Obviously, he's electric. He's <laughs> yeah. amazing. Who else can you pick? I mean, Matt McClain has been great. There's been a lot of good rookie pitchers like Bobby and Bryce Miller. You yep. can give this award to a lot of people, but it's obviously Ellie. He is electric, and we're not going to waste too much time on that. He's phenomenal. Yep. Moving to the biggest regret trophy, if we can just share, both of us, a little story of our biggest regret this season. I'll make mine pretty quick. So I have a few. I think all fantasy players have regrets, whether it's not picking someone up, picking up someone and then dropping them, trading someone away, whoever it might be. But for me, I had the chance to pick up Blake Snell when he was dropped during his horrible run. And he was going to start against someone and I decided to go with somebody else. It was someone completely irrelevant, so I don't even remember who it was. But I just didn't pick up Blake Snell, and then he went on this ridiculous run, and I missed out on that. And I love Blake Snell. Gave me a shout-out on Twitch. Love the dude. He's a great person. And I wish I rostered him for this because I had him in 2018 when he won the Cy Young, and now he's doing this again. And I love Blake Snell. I'm a big Blake Snell guy. And I just didn't pick him up. I'm very upset about that. Another one, I dropped Cattell Marte. And that's mainly because I have Corbin Carroll and Christian Walker. And while I'm talking about this, it's for my home league 10 team. I think a lot more people can relate to this because not a lot of people play in 15 team leagues and stuff. So talking about that kind of stuff, people won't be that interested in. But at least people can relate to us in our audience when I say, like, I dropped Cattell Marte. Because I'm not dropping Cattell Marte in my 12 and 15 team money leagues. But... In my 10-team keeper league, where I have Jose Altuve, who is hurt, and Matt McClain, who's second base eligible, and Max Muncy, who's second base eligible, I picked up Cattell Marte for like a three-game stretch where I wanted to use him as a bat because one of my guys got injured. And then once that guy came back, I was like, yeah, I don't need Cattell Marte anymore. He's been playing well, but I know what Cattell Marte will do, and I already have two Diamondbacks. I don't need him. That was a big regret. And then also, as I mentioned earlier, dropping Reed Detmers. It sucks that I didn't get to benefit from the big stretch that he's going on right now, but... Hopefully, in my other leagues where I do have him, it'll ease the pain a little bit. John, who are your biggest regrets from this season? 
Yeah, so one of them was dropping Zach Eflin, who has been having a really solid season. Yeah. Um, a little bit of a downturn of late, but there was a stretch there where he was um, basically elite. Um, it, it, it's a 10-teamer, so at the time it made sense to drop Eflin. Right. I think he was like going up against Houston or something like that. But the annoying thing is that I dropped him for Nick Lodolo. Oh, no. Probably <laughs> went on IL. Yeah. Um, and, you know, injury being the thing that it is, like you can't always predict it, yada, yada, yada. I get it. But it did suck that I dropped Eflin for a guy who basically just got injured and then I didn't have a chance to pick up Eflin again. Oh, that um, stinks. The other big regret that I want to add here was in my Dynasty League. And it's honestly more of a regret just because of how things ended up turning out. I, I think at the end of the day, knowing what I do now, maybe I don't make the trade. But at the time, I thought it was pretty solid. Um, this was preseason. Uh, Dynasty League, uh, I traded Fernando Tatis Jr. for Sandy Alcantara, um, uh, Anthony Volpe, and um, I believe it was... Uh, Jordan, uh, Jordan something. He's a shortstop. Uh, Jordan Lawler, who's a shortstop. Oh, forward. okay. Diamondbacks. You know, L Volpe and uh, and Lawler both solid prospects. Lawler is only twenty years old, so it'll be a couple more years before he comes up. Volpe was basically going to be on the open day roster for the for the Yankees, so I was kind of excited about that. And I was excited about Sandy, top five pitcher. How could you not love that? Um, unfortunately, though, uh, Sandy has had a really terrible season this year, as we've talked about. And Fernando has gone off and had a pretty, really solid season. And my replacement for Tatis was O'Neill Cruz, and we all know how that's gone. Yep. Um, so, yeah, in terms of regret, that's probably the biggest one. I don't know if I, I – I think if I knew all the information I did now, obviously I don't think I'd make the trade because Tatis has been hitting the cover off the ball. Right. But at the time, I think it was still a fine pickup. Um, I love Sandy. I Obviously, he was just coming off a Cy Young season, so you know you don't expect him to completely crumble the next season. Um, and I had O'Neill Cruz as my kind of you know shortstop coming up, so I, I felt pretty good about that. Uh, but yeah, that's probably one of my biggest regrets this season in terms of just how everything turned out. Yeah, that's a tough one. I think that trade is fine in the preseason, going into the year, knowing Sandy won the Cy Young and that he's you know, young and still a great pitcher and Volpe's coming up and has a lot of steam and in Dynasty Volpe and Lawler are huge assets Tatis is a huge asset as well but you know you never know what you were going to get after he came back from the steroid suspension so I don't yeah. mind that trade in the preseason obviously if you knew what you knew now you probably wouldn't have made the trade but Tatis for Sandy and those guys I don't mind it but yeah I know why you regret that that's kind of rough Moving oh, on to the right. missed out on player trophy. It's a player that John and I both just missed out on, whether it was in the wire or in the draft or whatever it may be. And for me, that player is Yuri Perez. I had the chance, uh, this kills me to say, to drop Lance Lynn and pick Oof. up Yuri Perez. And I said, you know what? I'm going to give Lance Lynn one more start. Yeah. I gave him that start. It stunk. And I was going to wait till 3 a.m. when Yahoo resets on the East Coast because it resets mm -hmm. 12 on the West Coast, I was going to wait and drop Lance Lynn that night for Yuri Perez because he was still out there. Mm -hmm. And two hours before reset, someone else in my league dropped someone and picked up Yuri Perez. And I was devastated because I should have just dropped Lance Lynn immediately when I heard Yuri Perez was coming up. And that's mm -hmm. a huge regret on my part as well. I missed out on Yuri. He's been awesome. Now, obviously, that has a little bit of a 
caveat because Yuri Perez is probably not going to pitch into the postseason for me for fantasy, so it's not that big of a loss. But man, Yuri Perez is elite. I could have possibly kept him in this league, so just brutal that I missed out on Yuri Perez. And then also a shout out to Spencer Steer. I already had a lot of reds at that time where I have Hunter Green, I had Andrew Abbott, I had McLean, I had Ellie, and I just couldn't have Spencer Steer as well. But I should have grabbed him because he's been amazing. Who was your missed out on player, John? Yeah, so I don't know if this was truly a missed out on. Uh, I'm going to put Ellie De La Cruz here, um, mainly because of a couple of situations. Um, I'm specifically referring to my TGFBI league. Um, and in this league, as I've mentioned plenty of times on this podcast, I put $200 down to pick up uh, Mason Miller. Right. Um, and he immediately gets injured. And those $200 are now useless. Um, and so that meant that my total fab that I could spend, because I'd, I'd made other pickups here and there, you know, I think I spent like $200 on Royce Lewis when I didn't really need to, I could have spent, you know, maybe 150 or something less like that. Anyways, that all being said, uh, I was capped at essentially $300. Right. But now thinking back, if I didn't make that Mason Miller pickup, which, you know, at the time it was, it was a perfectly fine pickup. I, I don't think I, I regret that necessarily. I would have had somewhere in the range of $500 to, to spend on Ellie De La Cruz. And he's kind of a guy that you can break the bank for, right? Like, you're almost willing to spend all your fab for a guy like him. He eventually went for 580 in my league, so I don't know if I could have made up enough money to get right. up there. But the, when you spend basically $400 on Royce Lewis and Mason Miller that does lead to some issues in the future. And so, uh, yeah, that kind of sucked. I, I wish uh, I hadn't done those two pickups at the prices I did them at um, because that would have allowed me to pick up someone like Ailey De La Cruz. Uh, and, yeah, that kind of sucks because one of those guys is might not play this season. And Royce Lewis, as much as I love him, uh, I, I doubled the next closest bid, so that kind of sucked. <laughs> Yeah, being fab poor and spending your fab where you don't know how much to bid on someone and you overbid by a lot or yeah. you win a player and they get injured, it stinks so bad. So I feel you on that. I feel the pain. I couldn't get Ellie in any of the leagues that have fab in it because I was too fab poor at the time to get him. So right. yeah. I have that same feeling. But at least I got him in the leagues that had waivers or I could pick him up or anything like that. But yeah, no, if I miss out on Ellie because of those moves, it's a rough feeling. Now. Our last trophy, the least valuable player for the fantasy season. If you guys listen to this podcast regularly, you know who mine is. It's Lance Lynn. I'm not even going to go on on that. I had such a belief in him this season, and I drafted him in pretty much every league. I think I had him in four of five, and he was just the worst, and he continues to be the worst. And like I said, I still think he'll have a good second half, but he's been my least valuable player by far. <laughs> Who's been your least valuable player, John? Yeah, uh, my least valuable players haven't been that bad in terms of quality of games, uh, as bad as Lance Lynn. But I think because of where they were going at drafts, um, I think it's an okay pickup. Corbin Burns and Sandy Alcantar both share my least valuable player award. Um, both of them, it's tough because you do start them, right? You, you can't have Corbin or Sandy in your team and not start them. But then you're really worried if it's going to end up in a blow-up, right? They're going to give up five runs in like four innings or something like that, just destroy your week. Um, it's not as terrible as Lance Lynn, 
but it's pretty bad considering that these guys were going the second or third round in drafts. And um, yeah, it, Corbin Burns specifically, we haven't really talked about him too much this season. Like there's been you know stretches where like, oh, it looks like he's back. And then there's other stretches where it's like, man, that he just looks like a, a shell of his former self, um, which is unfortunate. So yeah, I, I think both of those guys are my least valuable players. Some runner-ups would include uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr., who has not been performing super well. Trey Turner, I think, is a very clear uh, front-runner for for the least valuable player. Uh, but in terms of pitchers, considering the um, the draft capital that you put in to get one of these guys, the, the returns that they're giving you just are not pretty at all. I completely agree, and that wraps up our Fantasy Baseball Awards so far about at the halfway point in the season. I'm sure these will change as we move along the line, except for MVP probably because Acuna and Otani are running away with that. But yeah, it's always fun to reflect how the fantasy season has gone and who you were right on, who you were wrong on, who the best value was. So we thought it would be a fun little exercise, although this podcast might be our longest podcast ever. So, John, lead us into streamers for the next week. I'll give a bat recommendation, and we'll send this thing out. Yeah, we're going to blaze through these because a lot of these names uh, we've talked about before. Uh, Gavin Williams, um, he's got a two-star week. He's got Atlanta on Monday and then Kansas City on Saturday. If you have a weekly league, I might hesitate on picking him up. You have daily pickups, go get him for that Kansas City start because uh, he just rolled over the Royals um, in his most recent start. So, yeah, get Gavin Williams if you can. Next guy, Reese Olsen. I'm kind of doing some recency bias here because he destroyed my twins with a 5.1 inning start, nine strikeouts. Um, and he just had a, a quality start against the Royals with eight strikeouts as well. He goes against Oakland on Wednesday. That seems pretty good to me. And then Kenta Maeda had to give him some props because he did go five innings in his last two starts, one against Detroit, one against Atlanta. Both were pretty solid. Not a ton of Ks, so, you know, there is that risk. Um, the Twins did cap him at 80 pitches, though, so I don't think he's going to get a quality start in either of those uh, in, in his next start against Kansas City. Um, but if you're in a wins league, Kenta might be a good pickup for you if you if you don't mind kind of the, the low number of strikeouts. So Gavin Williams, like I said, probably just roster him everybody obviously the Atlanta start is going to be iffy but I would just roster Gavin Williams because he's been good against Kansas City he was awesome but he's got such high prospect pedigree that you should just have him I really like that shout out Reese Olsen he just pitched today on Thursday against the Rangers he went 1.2 innings two strikeouts gave up a few runs but the only reason he left the game is because he got hit with a comeback that's right Yep. Mm -hmm. And actually, I, I do remember that. Yes. The x rays on his knee came back clean and turned up negative. So he should be fine for yep. the next start, which I do agree. He's a great streamer option because he's got great stuff. So I like that a lot. I was actually really worried about this Ranger start, and I'm kind of happy he left early because it didn't mm -hmm. demoralize his confidence. <laughs> so. Yeah, Rezolson, good pick. And Ketamaeda, yeah, he's someone that you should grab as well. We don't know what we're really going to get from him, but he's someone that has succeeded in Major League Baseball, and that can be a very good pitcher. So I like all of these. If I had to rank them, probably would go Gavin Williams, Reese and Kenta Maeda. I think that order is right. And the only reason is I think Olsen against Oakland is such a slam dunk that I maybe even put him first, but I'd have to make sure that he's making that start. But... Yeah, I like Gavin Williams, Reese Olsen, and Kenta Maeda for the streaming options. And then for my bat recommendation, I wanted to recommend Ha Song Kim of the Padres. He's 51% rostered on Yahoo. Just like TJ Friedel, 
Kim is another one of those guys with a really bad savant page. He's third percentile in hard hit percentage, third percentile average exit velocity. Those are not good. However, what is good is his chase rate, which is in the 93rd percentile, and his walk percentage in the 82nd percentile. He currently has a 255, 342, 405 slash line with nine homers, 36 runs, 30 RBI, and 13 stolen bases. However, over the last 14 days, he's 17 for 48 with nine runs, three homers, nine RBI, two stolen bases, and a 404 OBP. Kim has second base, third base, and shortstop eligibility, and is regularly leading off for the Padres with Tatis, Soto, and Machado behind him. He's been hitting the fastball much better recently, which is something he's struggled with since leaving the KBO, and it's really nice to see him improving there. Kim's road splits are much better than his home splits this season, and next week he has six home games against the Angels and the Mets, but regardless, I think that he's someone worth picking up right now and seeing if he sticks on your roster because he's giving you the counting stats that you want in a categories league. Yeah, I think uh, Kim, to me, actually was was going to be one of those guys I was maybe going to mention in, in best value or best pickup, um, just because he's a guy who has been hot recently. Um, but it's also a team where that should be performing a lot better, right? Tatis, Yo, big time. Soto, Machado. So, you know, maybe just ride the wave with, with Kim, and, and hopefully as the Padres get better, he gets to see even better stats. Um from uh from the teammates around him yeah i think kim is a good pickup right now and i think that's a wrap for what possibly is our longest podcast episode ever hopefully you all stuck around and enjoyed it we had a lot of stuff it was a fun episode because we didn't have a guest we had to mainly come up with an idea and we liked the fantasy trophy idea we hope that you enjoyed that as well and we hope that we caught you up to speed on everything around baseball this past week but before you go Make sure you follow us on Twitter at ThisWeekPL and send us your comments and questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter at TheJohnKe, that's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E, and myself on Twitter at Regicidal, that's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitcher List Podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on. And please leave us a five-star review if you enjoy the show. Lastly, sign up for Pitcher List Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the Pitcher List Discord and get advice from all the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We will be back next week with hopefully a shorter episode of this week in fantasy baseball. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone.